Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. The light and the night got deathly quiet. His face lost all expression. Said if you're gonna play the game, boy, you gotta learn to play it right. You got to know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for filmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Bill Graham. Yeah, we do. We also have Robin Barr. Yeah, me too. Well, all right. So that's we've got an interesting <laughs> energy going on here. Um, I'm going to blame my very on-the-nose song choice. Uh, <laughs> let's move on. Uh, we also have a guest with us today. To talk about the card counter, it's Fran Hoffner. Hello. How are you doing? Oh, I'm great. I didn't prep a joke. I should have been like, I raise. Could have been fun, right? Too late I now. mean, <laughs> it's, no one else had a joke. They just had varying levels of mer. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I took so- a depression nap earlier. Oh no. <laughs> oh, no. That'll do it to you. Yeah. I was like, there's nothing to do. I'm just going to go to sleep now. <laughs> God, I you know, wow. fuck you. Okay. I wish I could do that. That sounds amazing. Oh, it wasn't really that there was nothing to do. It was that I spilled water all over my work laptop charger and thus couldn't do anything. It was really the difference. Oh, okay. And so then I reddited it? for no a while. Good. Oh, no. Never read it. Never read it angry or sad or happy or any emotion. Never go on Reddit. Oh. Bill uh, my, does not agree. My like, uh, Reddit anniversary I, I like Reddit. day is March 16th, 2020. <laughs> your, so I feel like I've already... I love yeah. it. <laughs> I've already kind of gone down that rabbit hole. Woof. Yeah. Okay. I'm newly into Reddit, but I'm just now learning about the things you should not look up on there. Like, like, like what? Please give me an example. Because <laughs> my mind is like oh, literally like, everything. Oh, like health health stuff. I love to look up like, uh, is this thing weird? It's like WebMD is sort of mm, how I've been. Gotcha. That's my bad version of using it. I like using it for like crafting and hobby related stuff. Right. Just to the, the, the learning, the learning part of my brain really loves it. But the spiraling out of control over something very small part of my brain does not love it. So it's a lot like TikTok is what you're saying. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. I've learned like some good cooking stuff, some good craft stuff on TikTok. And then I learned that like apparently Gen Z doesn't believe that Helen Keller existed, you know? So like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Um, My favorite TikTok of all time is a Gen Z kid being like, I've literally never heard of the wonders of the world, which really just says it all. You know? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I could come up with them if you quiz me. There's six of them, five of them. I don't know. Seven. Or I seven. <laughs> okay. Well, there we go. Bill Graham, you are the eighth wonder of the world. Uh, let's just say <laughs> that. Anyway, Fran, would you like to tell people at home a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I am a cultural critic and a writer. I live in New York. Uh, most people are probably familiar with my work from Bright Wall, Dark Room, where I'm a staff writer, where this year I have written about... The original Willy Wonka film and the Lego Batman. Um, but I also write, you know, fiction and about classical music and 
that's that's all that I write. But yeah, that's awesome. me. Well, we're very excited to have you here, especially to talk about The Card Counter, the newest oh, film too. from writer-director Paul Schrader. Um, this movie stars Oscar Isaac, Tiffany Haddish, and Ty Sheridan. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a great conversation. Cannot wait to see what we all thought about this movie. Before we get into that, all of the usual stuff, you can follow us on Twitter at Filmstage Show, Facebook, the Filmstage Show. You can email us podcast at filmstage.com, give us a comment on iTunes. You can go to patreon.com slash filmstage show to become a patron. And to uh, and uh, join our Slack channel where we talk about all manner of nonsense at all times of day. And um, yeah, we're also brought to you by Mubi, which, as I said in the opening, is a curious tribute service that showcases exceptional films from around the globe. Every day, Mubi premieres a brand new film, whether it's a timeless classic, a cult favorite, or an acclaimed masterpiece. It's guaranteed to either be a movie you've been dying to see or one you've never heard of before. And there will always be something new to discover. With movie, each and every film is hand-selected, so you'll never spend more time looking for something great to watch. Instead, you'll actually watch something great. Um, personal story, I went on to Hulu the other day, firmly intending to find some good movie on there, right? I was like, let's just like do Hulu roulette, you know, streaming roulette. Let's go on, let's skip around and see if I can find something. Because every once in a while, you'll be like, oh, Casablanca's on this, you know? And instead... I ended up watching Ancient Aliens. Mm. Why did I do that? Mm. <laughs> like how every one of you had a different version of a disapproving um. That seems It mean. wasn't disapproving, it was concerned. Oh, uh, no, you should be concerned that today I took Hulu's recommendation and started watching a different paranormal history channel show called um, The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch. And um, it's it's somehow seemingly worse than Ancient Aliens. And so, you know, it's hack to say at this point. But, I mean, the History Channel, there's not a lot of history on there anymore. But I'm apparently watching it all. <laughs> who knows? But anyway. Coming so you, from the man who loves the hollow earth theory. I don't love it. I find it intriguing. Mm. I don't believe in it. Mm. Like, I feel like in order to love something, you have to believe that it's real. Like Santa? Oh, I don't think that's true. I was about to say, you know, like your your significant other or Jesus. I don't know. <laughs> like, like I love Harry Potter. I don't think it's real. But you don't love the character, the real man, Harry Potter. You love the the intellectual property, Harry Potter, which is a true and real thing. There's a man, Harry Potter. <laughs> but isn't he a man at the end of the... I've never read or seen most of the Harry Potter <laughs> books or movies. So he yes, becomes a man, a man, right? Like he grows he's, into manhood. Man. He yes, is, he's a man at the end. He has a kid. Yes. yes, right. yes. He has three kids. Um, Spoiler alert. <laughs> I'm going to say, just because you have a kid doesn't make you a man, Bill. Uh, it, <laughs> yes, but in your usual estimation, that's usually what... I guess. Um, I don't he's know. I was trying to be he's, like a billboard that I saw in Baltimore once. Um, but anyway, yeah. So uh, if I had gone to movie, though, maybe I would have actually watched a movie. Maybe like I would have gone on to movie and seen uh, something from their uh, Venice special. Movie? Bill, what was that? Have we lost it, Bill? <laughs> no, a movie movie. Yeah, a movie movie. Something like Bisbee 17 uh, with his new film Procession premiering at Telluride this week, we present Robert Greene's radical Sundance Gem, a potent genre concoction of documentary, western, and musical. 
BizB17 uses historical reenactments to excavate collective memory and confront how the past haunts the present. Doesn't that sound so much better than a bunch of nerds talking about how weird it is that their cell phones die in the middle of the new Utah desert? What? Yeah, exactly. He's talking about ancient aliens. No, I'm talking uh, about Hunt for the Skinwalker or the Secret of Skinwalker fuck? Ranch. And I'm talking about <laughs> any of the other bullshit that I watched, but I should have been watching movie. So go to mubi.com slash film stage for a free 30-day trial. Again, that is mubi.com slash film stage for a free 30-day trial. What we're saying is movie does not rot your brain. Correct. No, movie uh, is, is um, what is the opposite of rot? I guess helps your brain to grow. Nourishes. cultivates your grain yeah nourishment nourishment's a good thing that said if you are uh tired of streaming at home if you want to go into theaters uh you can go there to see the movie that we're talking about today that is the card counter again from writer director paul schrader who was last on this podcast when we talked about first reformed um today we are here to talk about the card counter starring oscar isaac as the titular card counter as well as tiffany haddish and Ty Sheridan, amongst many others, uh, including, I'm just going to say it, Willem Dafoe, because he alone could get me to watch any movie. <laughs> this is the description from IMDb. Redemption is the long game in Paul Schrader's The Card Counter. Told with Schrader's trademark cinematic intensity, the revenge thriller tells the story of an ex-military interrogator turned gambler haunted by the ghosts of his past. And here is the trailer. There is a weight a man can accrue. This is where all the good stuff happens. The weight created by his past actions. It is a weight which can never be removed. All in. You count cards, right? I'm not that smart. All right. So that is it. The trailer for The Card Counter, which again is out in theaters now, and we're here to talk about it. So we begin, as always, with our spoiler-free section before moving into our spoiler thoughts, and we shall begin with our guest. Fran, what did you think of The Card Counter? I enjoyed The Card Counter. I am coming down... Um, as it being like, you know, I think it's a good film. I think it could be a pretty good film. I saw it with a group of pals and loved ones, all of whom sort of came down on different ends of the spectrum about it. It's very hard for me to separate it from First Reformed. It feels spiritually, um, pun intended, very similar to me, but I think there are a lot more loose ends at play here and at times i struggled with some of the craft elements of the film i guess i would say all right robin Barr. i feel scared to tell you how i feel about this because me specifically or like me the world just everyone <laughs> because i when i came out of this movie i was like so sure that my opinion was going to be the universal opinion, but it's in fact the opposite. A lot of people like this movie and I despised it. Um, and I don't usually go really hard on hating movies. Like oftentimes 
especially on this pod, like I'm like, oh, well, you know, this could have been better or whatever. But like, I hated every minute of this. Uh, I walked out. My husband started laughing. We, the two of us started laughing because we were both like, what the fuck did we just watch? And that has not been the reaction at all to this movie. I kind of don't get it, but I thought it was, I thought number one, the dialogue was atrociously bad. And so I couldn't take anything seriously because as I was watching people talk, they were, you know, everybody's trying hard to be like a good actor in this movie, but the dialogue was so bad that it was just starting to like make them look like bad actors. Um, and I like Oscar Isaac. I like Tiffany Haddish. Like Tiffany Haddish has given some of my favorite performances over the years. Like I think she should have had multiple Oscar nominations by now. And I thought she was really not good in this. And I, I blame the directing and I blame the writing. Um, I don't know if anybody kind of came away with this, but I could not separate the film, like the, the on screen from imagining Paul Schrader writing this on a typewriter. Like I just started to see the words on the page and that really took me out of the movie because I just kept thinking, ugh, this is like, this isn't not to be ageist, but it just felt like this is an old man typing on his typewriter and, and imagining this is what people sound like. Um, so it just kind of went downhill from there for me. And I, it was interesting Fran that you mentioned the craft elements because I don't know if it was like a bitch eating crackers thing, but I just kept starting to hate everything. I was like, <laughs> I hate the set design. It looked empty. It didn't look like people were really there. I hated the weird anti-Asian jokes that kept coming up. I hated the Abu Ghraib scenes. I thought they were goofy. I hated the transitions, like the uh, the editing transitions. I thought they were like cheesy. Everything about this movie just felt corny to me. Um, so when people talk about how much they liked it, I just, I felt like I was watching a different movie than other people. And that's not always the case. Like usually I'm like, oh, you know, I give you the benefit of the doubt. Like I, I interpreted this differently. We had this whole conversation last week about Candyman and that made me rethink the movie. And in this, I'm like, I could not stand anything that was happening on screen. It wasn't the worst movie I've hated all year, but it was, or like, it wasn't like the actual, you know worst movie I've seen in 2021 but it's probably the one I just I boilingly hated the most for just existing so apologies I what, just what is the worst it. movie that you've seen in 2021 uh Legally Blonde 2 I'm sorry the, oh okay yeah there was a Legally Blonde 2 for some reason I was like I'm sorry did they make a Legally Blonde 2 like recently no sorry is it the movie I saw in 2021 not oh, like a okay. 2021 movie I I'm sure there was a worse 2020 movie or 2021 movie I saw, but this is the one that just like boiled me up inside. Like I was just so bored and so mad and it just felt Did you like, like first reformed. Ugh. I haven't seen it. My husband loved that movie though. I had not seen it. And so he was really looking forward to this and yeah, we just walked out and we're just like, that was so bad. <laughs> All right. But well, I'm, a, I'm apparently like the only one. Yay. Well, let's see. Uh, let's uh, bring up Bill Graham. What did you think of this is a card counter? So this might be one of my favorite movies in the last few years. Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> fight, 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 fight. 
I absolutely love this from beginning to end. Uh, there are some issues with it here and there, but just like any film that you kind of fall for, uh, you kind of uh, smooth out their rough edges. And I definitely uh, can do that with this film pretty easily. What I'm starting to realize is that Oscar Isaac is kind of this person that can pull me through just about any fucking movie. Um he did this with, uh, why, why can't I remember any of these fucking movies off the top of my head? Of course I can't. Um, <laughs> a <laughs> most violent year. Yes. A most Sucker violent punch. year. Uh, no, fuck that movie. Star uh, Wars. An- Annihilation. Uh, he's in it briefly. Um, Ex Machina is one of my favorite movies. Uh, so like, like 2014 and 2015 were just like, just all about Oscar Isaac for me because we had a most violent year we had Ex Machina uh, and then we had Star Wars The Force Awakens like fuck yeah and then he was in that abomination called X-Men Apocalypse where he played Apocalypse (laughs) and I was so sad that they would take this charismatic actor and put him behind full face makeup and not let him be anything but just robotic and stiff and stale and I feel like you watched that movie instead, Robin. Uh, I don't know how they slipped you <laughs> X Men Apocalypse, but uh, you need to you need to check your receipts. Uh, no, uh, I absolutely adored this film from beginning to end, and I think part of it, or not part of it, absolutely almost all of it is because Oscar Isaac is front and center throughout this. He makes the dialogue sing. He makes everything just kind of work for me. Um, <laughs> As, as we were driving home, my fiance remarked, she said, he's giving me George Clooney vibes. And I said, yes, a, a non-white George Clooney. Um, he just is so damn charismatic and so good throughout this entire movie. Um, and everybody else is just kind of just in his orbit to me. Um, you know, I really like T- Ty Sheraton's character in this film. Um, I don't know if that's a spoiler or not, whatever. Um, so yeah, I I've said Ty Sheridan like six times, Bill. People know Ty Sheridan's in this movie. Okay. Well, you, you kind of tiptoed around Willem Dafoe. So I don't, I don't know what we're doing anymore. So, nah. um, but anyways, yeah, he is just fantastic and magnetic throughout this entire film. Um, I definitely understand like the, the stilted dialogue bits and stuff like that, uh, can kind of catch people off off guard. Um, but I kind of knew that coming in, uh, because I've seen a number of Schrader's films to this point. And so, you know, he's just got kind of a vibe. I don't know if you're just on not on his vibe or if this <laughs> film just pissed you off for whatever reason. And I definitely understand. Like sometimes I watch movies and I'm just I just can't get past anything. Right. And you're right. It starts to kind of dig its own grave in a lot of ways. Right, it's the um, bitch eating crackers thing, which, again, is my yeah. favorite idiom that I only learned about like three weeks ago. This is the yes. first time I've ever heard it. I love it. You're aware okay. of what it is, right? Like. No. No, obviously oh, oh not. All right, well Robin, she, Robin she say, well she said it. she loved yes. it. I wasn't sure if that meant like she instantly got what it meant. I'll explain. So it means that if you already like hate some bitch and <laughs> like just it's already established. 
And she's standing in the corner eating some crackers. Like all you can think to yourself is look at that bitch eating crackers. Like she's not doing anything, but because you've already established that you hate this person, even just her doing something as benign as eating crackers is enough to royal your uh, and get you all riled up. So that's how I felt about this movie. It was like, I, and I think Bill, you're correct. Like once you're not on something's vibe. It's just like everything just starts to piss you off. So I will give you that. Go on. Yeah. No. Um, I really enjoyed the music in this. Uh, the other thing that I really enjoyed was there's a sequence kind of in the middle. Uh, I'll, I'll just call it a light sequence that uh, <laughs> me and my fiance just like, being like what the fuck where was that so uh we'll get into that later uh i really love that sequence as well so um it's amazing what you can do with drones these days uh but yeah that's that's about it yeah drones drones (laughs) um the music uh by the way is is um at least a lot of the vocals and everything you know there's there's two people uh credited with music and one of them is robert levon bean and um, he's the lead singer of, uh, or one of the lead singers of the Black Girl Motorcycle Club. Oh, and, okay. um So if you're a fan of the BRMC, as I am, that'll be a big tick mark in this movie's favor for you. Um, which is uh, is good. This movie has a lot of tick marks in its favor. Um, I don't know that I'm I'm on Bill's you know best I've ever had level. Um. But I really like this movie. I, I like it a lot. It was weird to watch it on 9-11. Um, we'll, get, mm. <laughs> we'll get into why uh, when when we bring it up and uh, get a little more into it. Um, I The weird thing is I agree with Robin in some ways. Like this is a very written movie. And I could f- feel it a lot. But I think that, you know, Schrader's never been a totally naturalistic guy. Um I think that, you know, Taxi Driver maybe is a little naturalistic because, you know, then you get Scorsese directing it. Um, and but I think Schrader likes to lean into his own, like, like, you know, First Reformed is is genius and it's wonderful, but it still very much feels like a writer having an argument with himself a lot of the time. And um, he's 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 not subtle, man. He's just not a subtle creator. But I, I really like what's going on in this movie. Even even Ty Sheridan, who after I saw Ready Player One, I was like, never again. Mm. Um, I don't even care that this kid was in the Tree of Life. It was like 20 years ago. Like, I don't care. Um, <laughs> it was 10 years ago. <laughs> well, yeah, it was released 10 years ago. But when was it shot? Oh, yeah, okay. everyone shut up when I said he's, that, didn't they? He's, I mean, it's he's not boyhood. <laughs> he's in mud, and he's excellent in mud. Yeah, so. but so and, like you know, I, but I watch him in this, and I'm like, oh, I get it. I see what he's doing, and I like what he's doing. And, um, it, it is. It, I and honestly, I kind of like the way that this movie takes place almost entirely in casinos, and not one of them is a place that I would like to go. I feel <laughs> like. Movies have a tendency to be like casinos are all glitz and glamour and they're amazing, but like a lot of these places are are not the best. And I uh, I like that this movie like gets that, and it's got this whole World Series of Poker thing to it, and it's the least cinematic representation of professional poker playing ever. And I I kind of like that. So you know what Robin was saying about like the emptiness of everything, 
Like, yeah, these places aren't always humming, especially if they're not like literally in, in downtown Vegas or Atlantic City. You know, and I like that this movie takes place on those margins. And, you know, Oscar Isaac is a, a man that I'm firmly in love with. And um, Tiffany Haddish is great. And it's just, you know, it, it was it was a it was a good a good time at the movies that I had. So, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to, to talking more about it, uh, getting into some of its aesthetic choices and uh, learning more about Robin's seething hatred for it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm, I, I'm I want to I want to mention one thing. So uh, I don't know what's going on uh, with my weekends, but uh, so this will make the second double billing that I've done in a row uh, going to the movie. So before this, I actually saw Malignant. So, uh Yeah. <laughs> what a maniac it's been a you are weird, yeah it's been a weird uh week considering uh that shit all started on monday and then we did this again what was it yesterday yeah so four movies back to back in a week okay <laughs> you gotta calm down <laughs> you're gonna burn out soon <laughs> yes my husband and i often watch about five movies a week Oh no! I, I mean, in the theaters. Oh, in the theater. Sorry. Yeah. No, that's yeah. funny. <laughs> I was about to say I watch like eight movies. A I week, hope you but... wear a, a mask. <laughs> oh yes, I did. Yeah, I watch eight movies a week, but six of them are Luca. So you know, it doesn't really. Yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> love it. I love it. Though today we watched my. I was very proud. My daughter asked if we could watch Totoro, which she hadn't done in a while. So I was glad to see that still on her radar. Good. Good. Um, I'm going to preemptively say, Robin, by the way, Cora has no thoughts on the card counter. She did not get the chance okay. to watch with Thank me. You. Thank you. But she didn't watch My Girl either. So that's when I knew I was never going to get what <laughs> soon, I needed. Soon again. She did ask if we could go to the movie theater. Hmm. And I was like, oh, I'd love to. Like, what do you want to see? And she said something with dolphins. I was like, I don't know if you know how movie theaters work. <laughs> Um, she thinks it's Netflix. Right. She's just like, we go in and it's just a bigger version of, and then she's like, can we see the Paw Patrol movie, which is a real movie, which is out in theaters. But oh, I told no, her. Oh, she found out about but it. I, yeah. But I told her that it was already out of theaters because my grandparents took <gasps> her to see it. I was like, no, oh, it's so not there mean. anymore. Look, I don't have a lot of time you to go the to the right theaters thing. and I love my daughter, but I'm not <laughs> about to right go see thing. it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. It's a I great TikTok to- making the rounds of, of someone pretending to explain to their the kid they babysit that the Amazon Cinderella is not cinema. They're like, we just can't go. It's not cinema. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it looks, it looks pretty bad. I have to say, Oh, it's, it does I've, not look like cinema. I've only mm-hmm. seen like ads for it on TikTok, uh, which is not a good way to market a movie or even like, you know, a vegetable peeler, but it still doesn't look good. <laughs> it looks so bad. And yeah, I am really just horrified that it exists. Um, I feel like I was going to say something and now I can't remember what it was. Okay. Something about something about lying to people about things that exist. <laughs> oh, no, just the fact that my daughter will like want to watch like unboxings of toys on YouTube and I'll be like, "Let's put on Tangled." And she'll say like, "Why is Tangled better than my my, you know, my toy show?" Oh shit. She and called I, you out. Right. You know, cuz I I literally said like, "This isn't good. We're going to watch Tangled." And she's like, "Why is Tangled good and this isn't good?" And I said because Pascal is in Tangled. Right. Well, first of all, I wanted to be like cuz Tangled's fucking adorable and the songs are great, but I didn't tell her that. What I said was, you know, 
in a, a long form movie with a narrative or even a TV show with a narrative will help you understand people more and build your empathy. And she said, oh, okay. And then sat there and watched it very happily. <laughs> wow. You fucking told her eat your vegetables in cinema form. Yeah. And then she yeah. did it and she was super happy and she asked if she could grow her hair like uh, Rapunzel. And I was like, yeah, uh, I'd no. love it if you could do that. But I don't think we're going to be able to. No, you don't. Because then you're going to be in charge of brushing it. So yeah, no. she already hates when I brush her hair. Yeah, and her hair is short. Like, well, I'm not. Let, let, <laughs> I'm not trying to throw anyone under the bus, but I believe that one of her parents, perhaps the one that doesn't live with her, does not do a good enough job brushing her hair because there's no way that she should have knots as bad as she does. But anyway, <laughs> let's talk about the card counter <laughs> <laughs> and hope that my ex doesn't listen to this episode. Um, so, Robin, you hated the core of this movie. What oh, yes. moment did you know you were going to hate it? Um, good question. I think I think when and I still really don't understand the the um the impetus behind this, but when he starts pulling out all of those sheets from his briefcase mm-hmm. and starts covering the room up, I was just like, what is this quirky shit? Like, like, what is this like depiction of mental illness that is just like meant to be cute? I I knew from there that I was just not with his with his precious burlap twine talking about TikTok crafts. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was very much one of those moments where it's like this is characterization. And like putting arrows on the screen, and just like fuck off. This is nothing. This is like. so now I'm curious, uh, to, to the room, what do we all make of his putting sheets on everything? Um, Gasco? <laughs> I, feel, I feel like I'm kind of cheating on this one because I read his interview with um, Gabriela Paella uh, in, G- where, in GQ where he spoke about this. So I feel like I know why wow. he did it. He, well, uh, he so it questions from. about it. Well, I mean, that's 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 awesome that you come here with that context. Did you have a, a did you read that before you saw the movie? I did. And then I forgot about that fact. And then when I saw it, I laughed because I had remembered the context, which is that I believe it was a production designer he had worked with in the past, had done this to his hotel room on a shoot because he thought the room was so ugly. And it was just like, I'm not going to be able to sleep because of the ugliness of this. And so, like, I don't know that we're supposed to read it, you know, as a one to one for that. But I think I think of it in terms of just like blocking out the ugliness of something that you would rather look at nothing than see something ugly. Fuck that. I'm sorry. (laughs) But like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, you watch this and you're like, oh, this guy, this is supposed to be some interpretation of OCD like that. I think is what I like normie watcher is supposed to take on this. Like it was that nobody else's interpretation. What? No, not that really. It's, no. That it's OCD. No. Yeah. I mean, I think to me, he mentions a couple of things that kind of stand out to me. A, he mentions in, uh, you know, Iraq and all of that, that, uh, there are camel spiders, you know, the size of your fist. There are ants the size of your thumb and all this other shit. So to me, in a way, this is... I like to think that this maybe is him just being like, fuck it, nothing is getting 
on these sheets. Nothing is getting, you know, underneath this table. Nothing's getting nowhere. Like, there is no camel spider underneath this fucking, you know, desk or any of this shit. Um, but the other easier explanation to me is just the simplicity of life that he lived for eight years that he kind of seems to have fallen in love with. And I think it, you know, I look at it when he removes those pictures, as soon as he started removing the, the photographs, the, the, you know, framed artwork, whatever the fuck is on the walls. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew immediately what he was doing, that he was just going to dress this entire place down. And it's, you know, his his kind of cell life that he got used to. This is the same reason that you kind of see him in a lot of the same outfits, a lot of the same clothing. Um, this is also another reason why, like, there are there are famous instances. Um, who is it? Uh, Steve Jobs among them who just like wear the same thing over and over and over again. And it's because they're like, I don't want to fucking make decisions like no. And that's because, you know, Steve jobs and some of these other people are like high performing, like, you know, mental people where it's just like, you know, they don't want to spend that brain energy, but I can see Oscar Isaac's character just simply being like, I'm tired of fucking making decisions like this. Let me just dress the same way. Let me make my hotel room look the, the exact same way. So I don't have to fucking fuss with, you know, ah, that picture's ugly or, you know, that stupid alarm or whatever. Right. He just wants it simple and it's bare bones. And that's, I mean, it's, it's pretty simple and straightforward to me. So. I don't know. To me, that's like an anxiety disorder. (laughs) But I pathologize everything. I I mean, I I was about to say, you do have a tendency to like, you know, do that. (laughs) Be like, oh, you might have PTSD. (laughs) I mean, you spend eight years forcibly in a location, I'm sure there are going to be lasting effects, right? Like, you know, you you can call it PTSD, you can call it an anxiety disorder, you can call it OCD, or you can just be like, maybe he just started... It's survival uh, what, adaptation. What, 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 yeah, what, what, what is it when you get kidnapped and then you start falling in love with your kidnapper? What is that thing? Stockholm Syndrome. Like Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah, it's, it's like he just kind of fell in love with it. He was just like, fuck it. Wow, this is great. Like, this is freeing. I don't have to make decisions. I don't know. That's me. I think that's a good interpretation. Yeah, that's kind of how I... I mean, like, you know, he went from the military to prison. He hasn't had, like, a lot of personalization and amenities honestly there was a part of me that thought maybe it was um it was a tactic for keeping to a minimum his impact on the environment around him Mm -hmm. like you know basically leaving a trace and stuff like yeah so he's not gonna have to worry about leaving any you know dna or fingerprints or like you know at least minimizing the amount that he would leave behind or mm-hmm. it's a cleanliness thing because fucking hotel rooms are gross as shit. So sure, that's that's another thing. There's a lot well. that you can read into it, and I think that you know everything that you learn about him helps to inform that a little bit. And I think, you know, the fact that we can sit here and and none of us know for certain, but each of us is able to infer into it, lets you know that it's not the kind of cheap writerly thing that you might expect it to be. Because if that were the case, you know his 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 voiceover would probably say something like that. 
Like, you know, every time I <laughs> well, walk into a hotel room, I think about, you know, 14 people in the last like three weeks have probably stayed in here. That's four ounces of skin flakes. That's blah, blah, blah. You know, like, mm-hmm. but instead, you know, we get his existential meditations about his soul and we see the things that he's doing in the world around him, but we don't get a firm explanation for that. Like we have to sync up what we're learning about him as a person to what we see about him as like a, a man in a, in a world. What do you think, Fran? I don't. I just don't know that I pathologized it that seriously. I I think I was just willing to take this aspect of his character very much at face value and just go with him in this. Like, I was talking to a friend about the film last night, actually, and he was like, "I think basically everyone in this movie, except this William Tell character, is living in like a cartoon world." Or that to him, everything is just so cartoonish and garish. And part of what he's doing in stripping down the rooms and part of what he's doing in this really like hyper direct stilted way of speaking is just trying to sift through a lot of the the distracting lights and noises and colors and everything in order to make his life simple, which could be something that stems from his military background or from his time in prison, something like that. Um, It worked really well within the universe for me. I have to like, I don't, I don't know that it's something I keyed into very much just because I really, I liked it. And I was like, you know, here he goes covering up his room again. I like that. We like get to know this character through routine. I don't know that I needed any Mm -hmm. more information about sort of why he has it in the first place. The other thing that I think about is he mentions at one point why he plays blackjack. And one of the reasons that he gives is that he can burn a ton of time. And he mentions this kind of thing over and over again where, you know, they're like, what are you going to do? Like, and he's just like, I'm just going to keep spinning. Like, I'm just going to keep doing this. And he keeps bouncing from hotel to hotel, from casino to casino. And, you know, Haddish's character immediately is like, why don't you go for a bigger pot? And he's like, because then people notice you and then people start like getting mad at you. And he's like, or I can just continue to make 750 every single place I go and nobody bothers me. And yeah. so I think I think what he has kind of run out of is time for himself. At one point in the film, in prison, he like fucks with somebody that is much much larger than him and within two punches like his face is fucking broken and he stands up and wants him to do it again and he very clearly just wants his life to end in that moment to me and i think that is kind of where he's at in his own life. It's not until Ty Sheridan shows up that he actually feels like he has a purpose. And, but otherwise he's just kind of 
wasting a shit ton of time. And I got news for you, that routine, there's a reason they don't show the whole thing. <laughs> it probably takes an hour, hour and a half. And why does he do that? Probably because it fucking wastes an hour, hour and a half of his day that he doesn't have to spend doing anything else. Like he can just fucking do this for an hour and a half every single time he comes to a new hotel. And I imagine that, you know, his character is just like, why? Why not? Like, makes sense to me. Waste some time. <laughs> yeah. You know? So. I, I totally agree with it. When I think about this film in relation to First Reformed, like, I think First Reformed is about someone who really doesn't want to die, slowly becoming convinced that maybe they should. And this is sort of the inverse of that, of someone who I think really has a drive towards death, getting a chance at not having that for a brief period of time. Um, and so I, I totally agree with that read that this is everything he's doing is just to eat up as much time as possible. Yeah. Cause he, he talks to her and he says something like, you know, <laughs> she says you're a car counter. He's like, yeah, but they don't care if you count cards. They care if you like win big when you're counting cards. So he, he does it cause it's a way for him to spend his time where he knows what the outcome is going to be. It's like mm-hmm. a thing he has control over. It's it's, but it's nothing that he's using to like make his life appreciably better. It's kind of nice. And, it's and it's the, um, it's very it's very crazy <laughs> that that's what he chose to do. And his minimum interaction with other people, right? Mm-hmm. Like he can still earn a living. He can still kind of live his life. And the other reason that I thought that, um. Yeah, do we want to just go ahead and jump into spoilers at this point? Go for it. Okay, so the reason to me that he doesn't, it's it's two-sided. The reason that he doesn't want to do the World Series of Poker or do any of these kind of celebrity things is A, because he doesn't want to interact with that many people. He doesn't want that kind of spotlight. He doesn't want that kind of, you know, anything, right? when he's playing in these small stakes uh, tables and stuff like that, there's no pressure. There's no, there's no intensity. It's just him and whoever the fuck is at the table as well. And I think to me, the other thing is that he knows that he probably was a recognizable face, right? When he got sent to prison, it was because of everything blew up at Abu Ghraib, right? And so he probably understands this is a, there's a reason why he keeps telling people that he's William Tell and not William Telleman or something like that. I can't remember his, his actual last name. Um, and to me, that just speaks plainly to the fact that he probably doesn't want to be recognized as that asshole that was part of the prison guards at Abu Ghraib. And it's just like, yeah, I can see that where, you know, you go to a World Series of Poker that's actually a televised event and stuff like that. And people are like, who the fuck is this guy? And they're like, well, let me tell you about him. You know, and it's just like, can you imagine playing poker and then having that kind of come out about your own past and everything like that. It's just like, yeah, that would, that would be a quick way to make me want to kill myself too. You know? I think part of it also is that I think he finds winning very sort of disgustingly American, like being proud to win something, I think goes against the beliefs he's essentially developed both between his time in the military and in prison. And I think like, 
the utter cartoonishness of the like Mr. USA character who he goes up mm-hmm. against a few times in poker is like representational of that. Like he doesn't want that. He sees that as the path of victory. There is no sort of gracious winning that he ever really bears witness to. I don't know how much any of y'all have ever watched like the World Series of Poker or any literally of that none. Shit. Not at Never. all. <laughs> okay. Well, the the I can't remember. I, I said this to my fiance and she corrected me the other day. Um, is he Ukrainian or is he, I can't remember what, what like Soviet bloc country he's actually from. Um, but he's not American. Right. And he keeps wearing this American garb and keeps chanting USA, USA. And, you know, they mention how annoying he is several times. And in reality, once when you actually sit down with him, right, it's just his celebrations that become annoying. Otherwise, his mannerisms while he's at the table are just kind of mundane and, and normal. And what I found really fascinating is if you've ever watched the World Series of Poker, um, there are some larger than life personalities absolutely in this game. And some of them are doing exactly what he mentions where they're wearing sunglasses, they're wearing a hoodie and they're wearing earbuds the entire time. And you're just like, are you fucking kidding me? Like we're playing poker here. (laughs) Like, and I can't tell if you're listening to a podcast or like what the fuck you're doing, you know? And it's, it's very weird. But, uh, I think Jennifer Tilly was also like, one of the kind of celebrities that was actually pretty good at poker uh, for a while. Uh, She was, uh, I don't know if she's got any bracelets or anything like that, but she's gone pretty far in that. But yeah, there's some weird fucking people that all have like their own gimmick that end up at these final tables. And I'm sorry, you said, I I just have to know, you said she, does she have any bracelets? Is that like a, belt that's what in, you win okay yeah, yeah that's what right. you win yeah you win a bracelet oh, that's nice that's nice because it's practical you know <laughs> and until you get 15 of them and then it becomes you know you you look like mr t uh For sure. but yeah <laughs> but yeah no it's it's really interesting that like they chose to make a mockery of this of this character in the film but it actually turns out to be kind of like reflective of reality of like yeah all these people are fucking assholes like they're just fucking weird and they're really good at texas hold'em poker for whatever reason so does anybody like poker? I don't. I don't know I, how to. Play I don't poker. even like playing poker. I th- uh, so when I first started watching this movie, I'm like, oh sweet, he plays blackjack. I love it. I love a movie. Yes. Like I love playing blackjack. It's f- ridiculous that I love playing blackjack because again, is is fixed odds against <laughs> you. You know, there's like not a lot of skill to it really. But like I enjoy it. It's the only thing I play when I go to casinos. Um, everything else gives me too much stress. Um, Maybe there is something about the fact that, like, I know that I'm probably going to lose at blackjack, that (laughs) my defeatism is just, like, perfectly calibrated for it. But then he starts playing poker, and I was like, fuck, it's another movie where a person plays poker. (laughs) God damn it. And it's always Texas Hold'em. Yep. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I do appreciate the fact that, like, 
at the beginning, he starts talking about blackjack and about percentages and odds, and my eyes just glazed over. I was like, "It's a movie I, literally called lost. the card counter. <laughs> you should yeah. be fucking counting cards the whole movie." It is sort of yeah. crazy that he's mostly playing poker. <laughs> which oh, good. Is not I'm a card counting game. This is is uh, a well, moment that we can I, all agree on. <laughs> I, I think I think there's there's a a. An, an element of carding or counting cards when it comes to poker because you have to know the odds of the hands and stuff like that but yes you aren't you aren't tracking like 800 cards you're tracking like a deck of cards right which is what 52 cards or something like that so it's just like yeah this the mathematics here are very fucking different right <laughs> so yeah, um, but you know, I do appreciate the fact that he mentions when they start going to uh, poker that the reason that people play Texas Hold'em is because it forces big hands and it does all this and blah 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 blah. Right, so it kind of makes makes it understandable why this is kind of the unanimous game that a lot of people play at like big tournaments and stuff like that yeah i mean it's it is it is a it is a much more cinematic thing to play than like actual poker like five card stud you know Mm because then you're just everyone's sitting there and every like any anyone observing would know who has the right hand and who can win and like he says the flop the turn and then the river, like each of those things is a thing that suddenly changes the whole goddamn game, baby. So I get it. I understand. But, you know, there's I, I don't like poker. Poker is not impressive to me. <laughs> um, I, remember, uh, I, I remember playing it in college and enjoying it, but I, I could not play it today. I have no memory of how it works. It's it's fairly straightforward as long as you s- s- don't get into the percentages, right? Because that's that's when it becomes kind of complicated. Because people are like, "Oh, that's a that's a two percent hand," like, and it's just like, "I I don't <laughs> fucking I don't want to know that, man." Like that's that's too much brain power that you're utilizing. Like, just look at the cards and do they matchy matchy? Yeah, they matchy. All right, that's a good <laughs> hand. <laughs> I don't think I have patience for card games in general. I think that was something I really associate with childhood you're much and, like, more of a playing. russian roulette type of gal right uh, maybe i don't know i uh i i come from a gambling family and so i have sort of like complicated feelings about this stuff but mm-hmm. yeah i problem gambling or oh yeah <laughs> um yeah we can <laughs> okay. we can talk about it at some point but yeah i come from like people that i would consider gambling addicts i don't know if they would consider themselves but they're also dead so whatever um i Oh, I thought uh, yeah. you were going to say they're in debt. And I was like, yeah, that's that's a good, that's a good <laughs> indication. A little bit of both, I would say. I don't know. My father uh, was an entrepreneur and one of the schemes, one of the many schemes that he had in mind when I was growing up was that he was going to teach people how to count cards. I think that was his. I think he was a, a black. Well, blackjack was definitely my father's game. And so he made these tapes that I guess he he recorded himself and then he was trying to sell them to a gas station so that, you know, people would like go buy some cigarettes and see like, Oh, this is how I can like win a blackjack. But that didn't really, uh, didn't really go anywhere. That and is I such a weird specific <laughs> thing to do. 
I don't even Welcome know. I like. Life. I feel like we can't talk about anything else on this podcast now. <laughs> I, uh, I just watched physical on Apple TV, so like the concept of someone like making VHS tapes and trying to sell them is like very appealing to me. I know, and it was so weird too because this was like 1999. Like nobody was really using cassette tapes at that point, um, and I just remember these cassette tapes being all over the house just like you know just how inventory sort of collects right god there was just watch parts and these freaking tapes um what so, is happening? so <laughs> watch parts? oh yeah my father sold watches my father had a lot of different sort of was things. your father in the mob no you took a second <laughs> you paused for so long <laughs> you really thought about it uh, no, he was not in the mob. But well, first, what we have to understand is Robin is not her her real name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she's she's uh, in hiding. Yeah. No. Uh, no. Oh Jesus! You, you are taking way too you long. You need to, to start answering faster, or we are just going to keep getting more and more suspicious of you. No, we were. My father was not in the mob, but had ties. Um. Oh, okay. Bob adjacent. I got there were some very suspicious things that happened in my childhood that, you know, I have family members who are like, oh, yeah, you know, I think the real reason this happened is because blah, 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 not what your father said. So it's all kind of apocryphal and I can't really put this narrative together because welcome back everyone to raising the bar a (laughs) podcast about the childhood and parenting that went into raising robin bar you Um, know it's funny like i've mentioned this before but brian we we talk a lot about sort of your deep-seated traumas uh but it's kind of amusing because i have so many weirdnesses that i grew up around um so anyway so Black Which Jack- is crazy because my dad was just here for like a week to help me like plant grass and like, you know, dig some holes and put some trees in them. And I was just like this. And he's like going to a Coast Guard reunion. And we just like talked about like life and stuff. And I'm like, he lived such a steady, solid life. How the hell did I like issue forth from him? Like, this doesn't make any sense. But and you- how did such a bore like myself... Uh, come from such a bouquet of chaos i don't know yeah, i don't know um, i will say on on just a, a brief story uh, this is like the second weird father side hustle thing that i've learned about in like the past 48 <laughs> hours a woman at my dog park i told her like oh we're gonna go and we're gonna buy some plants today my daughter and i and we're gonna plant them and she was like you know i was i was raised in new york like that's where i grew up and my dad he was a police officer but whenever he wasn't on, he would go out onto street corners and sell plants. Oh. And she was like, he would make $700 a day selling plants on the street corners of New York because, like, New is, York doesn't have nurseries. weed? No, like, yeah. literal plants. Like, like you know, okay. miniature palm trees and ferns. But, like, you know, it's all these people who live in these airless boxes in the sky and it's not like you've got garden centers on Madison Avenue, you know, so he would go out and I didn't ask where he got the plants from because that did seem kind of sketchy and weird. But yeah, they would go out and they'd sell plants together. 
wholesale, baby. Yeah. You buy it for two, you sell it for four. Let's go. Let's it's a go. little more wholesome than Robin Barr being surrounded by watch parts and cassettes of poker play. Um, and New York Post. So a question for everybody. Have you all seen the episode of Broad City where... Does anybody watch Broad City? I watched, I watched like, a, a bit of it. Yeah. Okay, so there's this like famous episode where Alana... Uh, is like essentially kidnapped by her mother and they go to Chinatown and they're going to look for knockoff handbags. Does that mm-hmm. sound yes. familiar? So that was my childhood. <laughs> like literally I have, I was taken to Canal Street like multiple times, taken behind, you know, those metal, uh, I don't know what you call like metal grates or whatever and taken to the inventory and like, you know, hustled into buying um you know all these counterfeit handbags because uh, that was my father's business um he would buy all of these things you know in chinatown and then bring them to long island and he would like sort of go around to strip clubs and car dealerships and hair salons and nail salons and just try to you know sell his counterfeit bags to everybody uh and watches anyway um <laughs> and he'd sell them at strip clubs well, he called them gentlemen's clubs. So, of course, in my childhood mind, I imagined, you know, men in like smoking jackets <laughs> and, you know, yeah, velvet. no, there are no gentlemen <laughs> in those clubs. I told you about when I when I was doing my my um, I don't even know how to put this in a way that doesn't sound like it's a euphemism. I was doing my like interviews and research at the strip clubs, and I spent like two hours talking to the guy who would come in with a catalog and sell like costumes and shoes to the girls. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I I got that. I I understand how that goes. Yeah, yeah, that sounds sounds about right. Except it wasn't, uh, you know, it was like very specific, like Louis Vuitton, but it wasn't really Louis Vuitton. Yeah, no. um, Louis so Vuitton. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or like, you know, whatever Rolex, fake Rolexes and stuff like that. I uh, forgot why I was telling you all this. Anyway, I, I can't Blackjack. even remember because we were talking about how we don't like poker. <laughs> Yeah, so blackjack actually a big part of my life and my family used to go to uh, Atlantic City like every other weekend um, when I was really, really young. So a lot of my very earliest memories are being in like the Trump Plaza suite and going to casinos and not being allowed at the slot machines. Like I would get in trouble if I wandered over to the actual, you know, area with the carpeting. Yeah. Um, like my early, I must have been like two and a half or three, like really, really early memories. So, yeah, I don't know. But I don't think that's the reason I didn't like this movie. It wasn't like, oh, I don't no, know, I'm Robin. Triggered. I feel like that might exactly be the reason why you didn't like this movie. <laughs> no, like I, I liked Molly's game until it got terrible. I liked the first part of Molly's game. I like, uh, I like going to casinos now. I think they're like arcades for adults. Sounds really like exactly anything, like something but... your father might say. Oh Lord! <laughs> my, no, there's something my father would say would be like the firefighters on 9/11 weren't heroes. I mean, that's like something my father <laughs> oh, would say. Oh my God! <laughs> How are we even supposed to talk about this movie? <laughs> After I've been everything, thinking about this a lot today. <laughs> I feel like I've talked about like 
heroin deals and suicides and yet nothing has ever brought this podcast to its knees the way that everything <laughs> i just heard from you has like no something of- my father would say would be like the moon landing didn't happen oh like, can do you, is, <laughs> can i talk to your dad like can he and i hang oh, out no he's dead I'm oh sorry. man no he passed away um i mean i love my dad but yeah this is that you know this is the parent i was the closest with hello <laughs> <laughs> so anyway speaking about 9-11 let's talk about abu Ghraib. um yeah please those Robin- scenes my god is I was gonna say you had mentioned like there are aesthetic things that you didn't like. It was the 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 intense wide angle was that one of them? I thought it was just fucking goofy. I have to say, like I was watching it and I knew what it was at the time. I was just thinking, like this was a choice. What do you mean you knew what it was? Like you know, you know what it's supposed to be when you're watching these. Uh, when he's having these trauma dreams, yeah you know this is supposed to be a an interpretation of Abu Ghraib but as you're watching it it just comes off as so like a comedy version of it I, like I just couldn't take it seriously as this being you know this man's like deep-seated emotional pathos like whatever it just it comes off as the SNL version of Abu Ghraib it was just totally just in, poorly executed in my opinion Fran, thoughts? I'm sorry. I'm laughing so much at the SNL version of obviously. <laughs> I am legitimately I trying never... to figure out what the... that would look like. Yeah, I hope I never have to see it. Um, I thought I thought those parts were great. I mean, obviously not in a sort of I was enjoying them kind of way, but I mm-hmm. thought it was an innovative and interesting way to show those flashbacks. Um, yeah, I think I think yeah. Technical, technically speaking, I thought those were great, and they felt kind of like new and interesting for Paul. They like reminded me a bit of the like floating sequence in Oh yeah, the magical Bond. mystery tour. Yeah, so I really liked the way in which he's breaking out of his style in those moments to show how surreal these things felt to these characters. Mm-hmm. I think what what it kind of gives me is a sense of claustrophobia in a lot of ways um because for whatever reason that wide angle fisheye lens which uh you know brian uh had a massive migraine from uh previous time that he watched a film with that uh, okay no that was i will that was no sudden move yes (laughs) that gave me the migraine I will say that this being so exaggerated actually kept that from happening because I knew just to focus on the center of the screen. It's like it's like (laughs) the difference between like um, a uh, like if I'm on a boat that's being tossed at sea versus like a roller coaster. Like one of them was designed to be an experience that you could get through and the other one legitimately might kill you. Mm, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, keep your hands inside the vehicle at all times. Yeah. Yes. The walls at Abu Ghraib um, look disgusting. Do not touch them. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, for whatever reason, I guess that fish-eyed lens gives me a very kind of claustrophobic uh, sense because 
I think it's it's pulling in that focus right into that center and you can kind of feel that camera being inside of there and every time it kind of turns it shows like just this wide wide angle area um, so to me it gives it a nice sense of claustrophobia and I you know I hate to describe these kind of things and like oh yeah it was beautiful and I love the way that it was it was doing these things to me when it's talking about something like Abu Ghraib um, that's that's a very weird juxtaposition but you know that's I can I guess I come from a privileged place where I can say that I have separation from that stuff and I, it doesn't affect me which is probably you know obviously it affects these characters so I mean I would think that a, a good majority of people would not have had would have the same experience as you Bill mm-hmm. I don't know it just it just feels weird <laughs> Um, that sequence when he's at the diner and which that diner was called something very funny. I can't remember the name of it. Um, but that's, that's a side note. Uh, but yeah, that sequence when he talks about his experience at Abu Ghraib, um, I just found really kind of mesmerizing in, you know, those kind of actorly ways, right? Where it's like, okay, I'm going to give you this long piece of dialogue. We're going to shoot it all in one sequence. We're going to kind of focus in, you know, we're not going to cut away or anything like that. And you're just going to deliver this powerful performance of like, you know, your experience at Abu Ghraib. And I thought he fucking nailed it. And I really, really, um, I, I found my hair standing on in at the, you know, towards the middle of that sequence. Um, I don't know if anybody was affected as much as I was, but yeah. Was anyone as affected as Bill was? <laughs> I didn't have a lot of emotions watching this movie. <laughs> I, well, I shouldn't say that. I think there was one sequence toward the end where I was like a little bit into it, um, which is like very, very, very spoiler alert, like basically the climax where a lot of the action takes place off the screen. And mm-hmm. then it's sort of, uh, I don't know if like time speeds up, but I thought that was yeah. like a well done scene. And I, and that was probably the one thing I, did sort of genuinely uh, feel things toward in this movie. Otherwise, I just didn't have a lot of emotions in general. Yeah, I would say that I was not really having an emotional experience watching this film. But in general, I just think this Oscar Isaac performance is incredible. Like, I don't think that's because, like, he didn't sell the character. Um, I think it's just sort of the nature, nature of the flick. But I just think he does, he runs away with this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's unfortunate because I really did not like, uh, inside Llewellyn Davis. Um, It's Llewyn Davis. I I hated that movie. (laughs) Yeah. What is happening? What's happening right now? What is going on? You know what's weird actually is I I didn't like Inside Llewyn Davis the first time I watched it, but sometime around the fifth time I watched it, because I just kept going, oh, Inside Llewyn Davis, I should watch that again. I realized, oh no, I think I actually do really quite like this movie. You love sad sacks, Brian. You're fucking goddamn right I do. Give me a single (laughs) man, alone, emotionally distant from everyone, probably suicidal. 
unable to focus on anything else in his life mm, as the like traumas of his past slowly eat him. Mm. And I'm just like, yeah, put that mirror up to me. Fucking give it to me. Tell me exactly what I am. Anyway, um, I feel like I, I just blacked out. What did I say? <laughs> no, you said you had to watch Inside Llewellyn Davis. Llewellyn! Uh, multiple times. Llewellyn Davis before you uh, really, like, hit it off with it but i think i, I just think always I, liked it but i didn't realize that i liked it because there's no way that you watch something like five times before, like and don't like it i think i was just like i felt sure. the draw to it but couldn't actualize why i felt well, that i think i think that's actually a pretty common occurrence for a lot of people with coen brothers films yo 100 like you just have to get past it's like tangle of plot and story and everything like that i mean i I, you know i remember recounting probably on this podcast uh my experience with uh the big lebowski and Uh the first time i watched that i i didn't laugh at all and i was just like what the fuck is this (laughs) and the second time i i watched it i had a blast and i loved it and i was like oh right I I was watching that movie thinking everything was going to line up and make sense and blah, blah, blah. And no, don't do that with that movie, right? And that's that's kind of a, a lot of Coen Brothers films is you got to get past that first initial watch where you're trying to like track everything in a logical way and blah, blah, blah. You're like, oh yeah, this, this thread should connect to this. And it's like, nah, it's not going to. And then, you know, you kind of give up on that a little or give that up a little bit uh the second and third and fourth and fifth time that you watch and then you're able to kind of sit back and enjoy the chaos that keeps happening are you saying i have to watch oh brother where art thou again no am, have you i am not, not i love that advocating movie. i'm I not advocating for multiple viewings to to get a film i think i think that's a cheap way right um, like that's what i'm saying but, i didn't i didn't like keep watching it until suddenly i got it i think that i subconsciously got it the first time but couldn't really put mm-hmm. pen to paper to figure out why mm-hmm. yes hmm. yeah that's it robert i think yeah. if you watch the card counter like seven more times i think it's really gonna <laughs> <hit for> you. <laughs> robin i wonder what you would make of first reformed you know i wonder too i mean i also probably resisted it just because the themes didn't really interest me but my husband environmentalism loved that movie you yeah, think climate change is good. Yeah, I love climate Robin change. Robin didn't want to see another anti-corporate screed. <laughs> She's all about the free hand of market making solutions to problems. Yeah, I'm she the also... daughter of an entrepreneur. <laughs> um, I I don't know. Just didn't my poppy like... once burned down a church because his friend Eduardo told him to. A thing I have never questioned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't I know. My do- husband loves that movie, so I don't know. He's he said it was his favorite movie of that year. Uh, I guess I should. Yeah, have it, was, it, it was a good one. It does involve a lot of God talk, which I know you're not a fan of. Uh, but if you just like you did with the Tree of Life, replace God with space aliens, maybe he'll like exactly. It. <laughs> you get me, Brian. I 100 percent get you. I get you the way that you get my taste in romantic partners. Oh yeah, 100 percent. Ugh. Poor Fran. Fran. I'm sorry. Yeah, this is a Fran, therapy what, what session. Kind of, what kind of issues do you have that you want to talk about? Yeah, Fran, tell oh. us about your mother. <laughs> <laughs> she would not like this movie. Uh, 
but she's normal. Um, I really hate this. <laughs> I really hate this score. Oh, I'm really? Sorry. I'm sorry to whoever's band this is and this guy. I don't. I'm sort of very. Is this contemporary music? This guy making making these songs? Yeah, I would say it's it's I'm, it's pretty contemporary. This jaunty I fellow. I just I'm like so naive about contemporary music. This is like my one big pop culture blind spot. Um, is the music of the modern era is yeah based yeah almost completely like i find i learned about the strokes like two years ago oh my uh, god and i was like whoa wait cool. aren't you our age i'm 30 you're oh my younger god you're younger <laughs> yeah but so, i grew up in sort of like a classical music adjacent kind of kind of oh, so i yeah exactly so well, i learned I, about I, I listened to like pop music for the first time when i was like 19 um that's i was playing catch up since well, yeah, yeah. So the 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 BRMC, I think that I'm looking at it now. Their their debut album was in 2001, and their last album was in 2018. So like they're around, they're doing stuff. I've seen them in concert like five times. Is, is oh, wow. this that music though, or it's, is this something adjacent? That it's similarish. Like... So like, what's weird is that they okay. started off very like post punk rock, like Jesus and the Mary Cheney kind of thing, and then they moved real hardcore to like a kind of like hard rock bluegrass type of thing and i i feel like he's constantly evolving as a songwriter and a singer and so like this like mercy of man the song that ends this movie is definitely like in line with some of the you know less noise more like soulful what what he's he's been doing lately so yeah i think um yeah if anyone listened to this or listened to this anyone watched this movie and thought like oh i really like this like check out the brmc Maybe start with like a howl. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Classic, classic plug. Um, I would say if you saw this movie and you didn't like the music, you're not alone. Um, <laughs> no, I think I found it very distracting okay. and taking away from what was happening on screen when it was really kind of cranked up. And to me, did not mesh with this character, did not mesh with this world. It was really like, almost almost inhibiting mm. at times for me to listen to and process the flick i don't remember it very well can someone describe it it's it was like synthy no no it's like it's almost like blue, I, I don't even want it feels disrespectful blues grass um <laughs> no it feels just like sort of more country or rock music to me personally but okay like you have plinky to, mm, but heavier god i don't remember it at all i found it to be very heavy mm. very heavy-handed um i wish it was tw- i mean i wish it was plinky or twangier i don't even know if i want that i sort of would i would have been happy with no score for this or like ambient or synthier hmm work something just that felt more minimalist i felt like it was a really maximalist score in an otherwise pretty like minimalist movie Mm. i have to say the music i liked the best in this movie were the abu graib scenes (laughs) oh no what is going on (laughs) what is going on and that's just like my type of music we're really peeling back the trauma onion (laughs) with robin today aren't we it's not that I liked like those. She was disgusted by it, so she wants a poster <laughs> of it. <laughs> they make fun of me because one of my favorite emotions is disgust. 
which we have talked about ad nauseum. No, that's not why we it's, make fun of you. No, you it's, said it's, that it's you something disgusts you so much that you become like erotically that. fascinated with it. Not erotically. <laughs> I don't want to like it becomes fuck charged. The baby Annette. Like I just <laughs> I don't know. You you just uh, want it around you. Fran, what did you think of Annette? Baby Annette. What did I think of Annette? <laughs> yeah. So it's funny. You guys reached out to me about being on the Annette episode of the mm-hmm. show. I had not yet seen, I was unavailable and I had not yet seen Annette. What I did not say in that email is I was so certain I was going to hate Annette that I was not prioritizing seeing it because I knew I was going to have this like truly visceral negative reaction to it. And then like a week ago, I was just like home by myself. I made a wonderful dinner for myself, which I haven't done in like a minute. And I was like, I'm going to really charitable mood i'm gonna start annette and let's just see what happens and i fucking loved annette i went crazy <laughs> for annette. i'm like shit. i think i'm like annette is probably my favorite thing i've seen this whole year i think it won't be oh. the, the number one for me but it's number one as it stands now and i it's it's so funny that this is like what happened i was really certain i was going to turn it off after like 15 minutes but i i went crazy for annette i love annette so I I really enjoy the first hour of Annette, and then it keeps going for another hour and a half, and and I f- I fell off. I fell. Oh, because I kind of feel the opposite. Where I'm like, if I can get through, like I found the first forty five minutes a bit of a chore, and then I was just fully in. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. I no. kind of felt the same. Like I I felt like I enjoyed it the more it went on, but I really liked the baby Annette puppet. Well, yeah, that's the. Thing. It's like we'll once you have baby about. Annette in the mix. <sighs> Yeah, I'm fucking <laughs> baffled and furious right out. now. <laughs> that's when I was like, Get I love the that fuck puppet. out of this movie. That puppet is crazy. Anytime I think about it, I'm like, I, I'm just like, it's a net. You know, is it good? Is yeah. it bad? I don't know. It's baby a net My- and the baby from American <laughs> Sniper need to hang out. They need to. They need to smoke a J on Joe Rogan's podcast. I wrote. Oh, I, I wrote to a professor. I work at a university. I wrote to a professor because one of my students had an accommodation in that class, and I was like, "Oh, this is puppet theater." Hey, professor, have you seen Annette? And she had not heard of it, and I was like, "Oh, you got to see this movie." Oh, like, I would love for the puppet community to weigh in on. I know. That. Me too. I like. like <laughs> oh, go ahead. Oh no, I was like, it's like I'm telling the puppet fabricators. They need to watch this movie. There's been a lot of puppet stuff in the last few movies that we've done. Because in The Green Knight, there's some puppet stuff. In Candyman, there's puppet adjacent. That's like, shadow puppet. That still counts. Yeah, shadow puppet. Okay, and then Annette. And yeah, I'm I'm getting concerned. There's there's a lot of no. I love it. On. More puppets. I don't even know how to begin to respond to these concepts that we're talking about right now. Like, well, we watched Gremlins 2 last night, and let me fucking uh, tell you, first of all, that movie is great. Number yes. two, practical Spike. effects. Can we please bring uh, back the practical effects? Just you Maybe wait until we watch Dune. I hear they made a 4,000-foot-long worm. <laughs> <laughs> so Someone said uh, why how how it was possible that Jared Leto didn't have a character poster yet. And I said that it's because he hasn't reached his final form as the mm-hmm. sandworm. <laughs> and so he doesn't he doesn't want to be Wait, I'm sorry, is Jared Leto in Dune? No, I don't I don't think so, but okay. I you know I but think it was one of those worm. things. I, I think it was one of those things where it was like, okay, everybody's in this movie. Where's Jared Leto? Like you know, yeah, he was. In he Blade is a Runner giant butthole. 
<laughs> Mother of God. So anyway, now we've got all our feelings on a net out in the open. Uh, we could go back to the card counter. I was watching. I was thinking about Annette specifically when I watched this movie because I was like, oh, I really liked Annette compared to the card counter. And I also famously hated Annette, uh, at least when I first watched it. And it's sort of grown on me over the last few weeks. But yeah, I was convinced that Brian would hate the card counter. Why? Specifically because I thought this would make you realize that Annette was a better film. No, this made me hate Annette even more because this movie was only an hour and 49 minutes and Annette was like 17 days. Oh, God, I feel the opposite. I was so bored watching this. Okay, can we talk about something aesthetically besides the music, which we have, you know, differing opinions on? Um, I did want to say that I hair. I'm sorry. What was that? Hi, oh, Sheridan's his, hair. His, his just general look in this is just dirt bag. Oh, yeah. it rocks, though. I think. Oh, yeah, I love it. That's one of the things a, I love well, about I him in this movie. He's such a good foil to the Oscar Isaac character. They look so different from each other yep. and hold each other's, like, hold themselves so differently. They are, like, absolute perfect foils. Like, Ty Sheridan is playing such a charm vacuum and I think he's doing it in a great way. And maybe someone would be like, that's just sort of his deal in general. I remember kind of liking him in ready player one. I'm sort of odd. What is happening to this podcast? (laughs) I'm sort of an odd ready player one defender. Um, Okay. Fair. I think that movie is whatever. So crazy. It really kind of cracked me up. I don't. Uh, what is I don't know. I, I I can't separate myself from reading that book. So that was that was a large part of my just general disappointment. But also just can't separate so myself much. from oh, I hate, having eyes. I hate that book. I should say. Oh, okay. Wow. All right. But I kind of like the movie. Maybe that's like a <laughs> no, troll move. Like a true troll move is hating Ready Player One, the book, but liking the movie. Here's what I like about the movie. There's one shot of an animated tiger with giant boobs. And I was just like, what the <laughs> hell? Who's like looking at a phone at one point. Oh, yeah. Like, no. Spielberg what? knows about this. 100%. I remember. coming. I feel like I came out of that movie and said, like, if they really were going for any kind of verisimilitude, there'd be a shit ton more furries. It's like the one furry in it, and I laughed out loud when they showed her. And I think they show her one more time. But like, yeah, she's I like love... in a nightclub, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I, I think she this, like I can pull up this screenshot so quickly. <laughs> That's scary to me. That's but um, I am. Um, she worry like narks. I need this. <laughs> she narks on Parzival, right? She like tells. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you know. Okay. So it's not exactly. No, we she, both know exactly who she is in the movie. Right. Well, also, just again, she narks on Parzival, which is a statement that I just made. And she tells, like, Iraq where he is. And, um, yeah, no. Jesus but Christ. I, I was Brian. like, oh, hey, like, that's the, the furry, like, because they knew they had to have one. Like, that's there's no way you can't not. They didn't have to, but they did. <laughs> and then a scant few years later, uh, Cats came out and just set the entire mm. cause of furry representation back seven years I can't I still can't believe that's a fucking movie I can't get over the tiger tits <laughs> I'm sorry oh has the has the what do you, Robin did you look it up or has it been posted to the chat oh I'm gonna throw it in the chat I can't no I really yes. want to see that I just so on reddit speaking of reddit I did see see this is why reddit's terrible a tattoo somebody had made of a goose with like giant breasts <laughs> 
And I think the caption was something like, take a look at these big honkers or something like that. And I, I just, <laughs> that's, yes. Okay, fine. Uh, this is the most wow. Fun. That is, that is a busty cat. <laughs> I just love that ghost so much. I saved it to my phone. I just saw this cat and I was like, I, my self-esteem is not good enough to look at this cat and feel good. But oh, yeah, now see, she's I think I've done, yeah. I've done a lot of emotional work and I look hmm. at this cat and I know that this is my sister, you know? Wait a second. Those comrades. So the first time you saw her, you thought you weren't like pure enough to. I was just like, I'm not as hot as this cat. Oh, you're not as hot as that cat. Now I'm like, we're the same. We're the same degree of hot. (laughs) Well, that's that's she's got like porny boobs. Like these are a little too porny. I don't know. This also looks like a. What do you define as a? You know, do I want to know the answer to this? What's a porn e boob? Is it just too round? Like two orbs stuck yeah. together yeah. but that's probably just because she's wearing like a corset or something i'm sure like if she when she's no, dressed it's, down it's how popping they are at the top yeah have I you never been to a top. ren fair yeah. girl i i my first job was at a ren <laughs> Did fair you just call me girl <laughs> yeah but these are these are the type of uh uh I, I, These look firm, a little firm. That's all I'm gonna Which say. is weird because they're covered in fur, which is famously not a firm medium. It what? looks like a couple of pieces of wood that you stuck a pelt onto. Okay, well, to saying. be fair, we're looking Fran, at a you have still nothing image. Nothing to worry about. <laughs> oh my gosh, thank you. I'm not though anymore. Okay, did, but her eyeliner though. Like, are you able to pull off that kind of an eyeliner thing? I've actually I'm opted just... out of big eyeliner, but I oh. respect any comrade still still in the mix. Oh, I do like a I full feel... black coal. Yeah, wait, hold on. Now I have to ask Robin, what do you suspect? Do I like a lot of eyeliner or do I not like a lot of eyeliner? I feel like Jesus. you love eyeliner. But you generally would say, oh, women who wear makeup, like, you don't need to do that. You're beautiful underneath. But you Oh, fuck you. No, I am. I'm one of these guys. I'm like, uh, makeup's a fucking art. And if you know how to wield that pen, you can make yourself look however (laughs) the hell you want. Because I hate those guys. I'm sorry. If you are like, oh, wait, a woman would be so much more beautiful without makeup. And then you actually see her without makeup. You're like, oh, you look sick. Are you okay? Like, I've had that happen to me so many times. No, I am. Um, I had a friend once who I like the the one comment I've ever made about someone's makeup was you should have like done white eyeliner instead of this like other one that you did. And then they agreed with me because <laughs> like it was one of those things where it seemed like I was about to say, oh, like you wear too much makeup. But instead I was like, I feel like color wise, you, you knew that you should have made this choice and you didn't. She's like, I wanted to so bad, but no one likes white eyeliner, <laughs> which I didn't know that was a thing, but apparently it is. I appreciate that you understand makeup aesthetic. Oh, fuck yeah. No, I get makeup. Like, makeup makes a lot of sense to me. I feel like this episode needs to come with this image attached. <laughs> no. Yes. There's, there's, <laughs> no. And the big honkers. They're, they're going to be very confused. When I got to they... find those. I'm going to put that in the, the Patreon. The big honkers so that, thing? Yeah. I knew a like man who once had a, um, an image of boner a rooster. Content. Yeah, and it was hanging on a gallows, and he had it on his calf. And he, the reason was because he was in the Navy, and he wanted to be able to say that his that his cock hung below his knees. Um, huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had already it's gotten like 90% of the way into the story before I remembered what the punchline was. <laughs> and I was like, oh, right. <laughs> this is terrible. And it's not as cute as big honkers. <laughs> Brian, stop meeting people. 
Speaking of tattoos, what did we think about? Did you just tell me to stop meeting people? Just stop. You've you've met enough people. I feel that sometimes, but then I go and I meet another person, and her dad sold plants park. on the side of the street in Manhattan and made a lot <laughs> made of money. Seven hundred bucks. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, you know, uh, speaking like of tattoos. <laughs> like 700 bucks is loosely translated to 1400 bucks that's like your whole salary as a police officer yeah well that's they why they move like they are, what a they are not paid racket. well um, they don't make a lot of money no no they don't what was i gonna say i can't even remember now uh it was, like i was gonna this movie <laughs> i just said you guys like the end of this guy so here's the funny thing i watched the entire end credits because i liked the fact that they clearly actually did make them hold their fingers like that for like 17 minutes i can see those nails like bobbing yeah. yeah um i don't know how i like i feel like the romance in first and here's the thing this movie feels of a piece with first reform just because and kind of taxi driver like Paul Schrader loves this narrative and I can't blame him. I love it too. Um, but I do feel like the the romance in first reform was a little better handled and executed. Um, I don't know that I believe that she would come to visit him in prison after what he probably did to Willem Dafoe. She does mention like like that whatever he's done she's not afraid right but that's what he's done like Like, you know if you forgive someone for their past but then they go out and they butcher someone in their home like you know maybe sure sure. i don't know the more time passes the more i i don't see the ending as exactly like literal also is i guess mm -hmm. what i'll say that is that yeah, I feel like that happens with every Paul Schrader movie. Is that I mean, yeah, that's, like, tr- that's true. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I uh, I enjoyed their chemistry. I didn't necessarily need it to be a romance, and I kind of like didn't want it to be. But I also felt like if he's going to have this kind of connection with anybody, I want it to be her character. Um, because I think they kind of, they easily have like a, a shorthand with each other in a way that seems like they've, they've only interacted a few times before they actually become partners in this, but it feels like they've like recognized each other in a way and i really enjoyed their just general chemistry and the way that they kind of get along and that she is kind of flirting with him he's kind of flirting with her there's there's a moment early on when they're at the bar to get or at a bar together and he's i think he's about to order another drink or something like that and she's like nah i'm too old for this and like kisses him on on the cheek and like bounces out of there and i was like yeah she's she's you know seen this kind of road before and she's like nah i'm i'm too fucking old for like will you won't you kind of bullshit like i'm going to bed 
you know um and notably like she doesn't necessarily pursue him um i thought that was nice uh just simply because of, of their dynamic um because it seemed like if anybody was going to pursue someone it was going to be her and so i enjoyed the fact that that kind of ended up flipping I don't know. Was anybody else revolted by their sex scene? It was just like <laughs> my fiance said that that was a terrible sex scene. I do wish I think, I think so every bad. every sex scene, just in general, is is pretty fucking bad. So I'm just like, ah, you know, it's oh, it's I liked it. I I found the lack of an inclusion of a scene where he sings into her vagina to be egregious. Um, in a post, <laughs> wait, what is that from? Annette. That's simply Annette. Yeah, oh, yeah, what the duh. fuck are you talking oh, about? I simply about I hate okay. <laughs> not, I have not like, just a net, simply <laughs> it is simply a net. I just it, I must have erased it from my mind because I fully remember ranting on this podcast yes, about did. how much I hated that kind of lingo scene so much. He's staring into her and he's literally singing that he loves her so much. We love each other so much. Are you and your 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 man still singing that at one another? Every day. <laughs> <laughs> That's a relationship that will either live forever or end in a joint suicide. <laughs> I know. We've talked about it. Oh, that's so nice. Jesus. Ah, <laughs> oh, we're fun. I have to ask you, does he ever remind you of your father? <laughs> Never. Okay, he reminds good. me a lot of my grandmother. <laughs> Uh, but not of my father. <laughs> Where do we even go from here? Uh, I have a question. So this this movie, I think one of its boldest choices is that uh, Oscar Isaac is a is a a, uh, a torturer. He does enhanced interrogation in Abu Ghraib, and he goes to jail. Like, did we all get to a point where we felt that we like understood him and empathized with him, despite the fact that like. I don't know. Like, again, I watched this movie on 9-11 and, you know, you can't have 9-11 anymore without thinking about everything that it followed. And uh, mm-hmm. one of those things is Abu Ghraib and, and Lin- Lindy England, I believe. I hope I got that name right. Um, <laughs> pointing is that her name? at the pyramid of people. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, someone please Google her name while I speak. So, you know, the it's and whenever you see those, you think like, oh, these horrible people. Like, you know, these soulless, like, whatever, you know, whatever bad things you want to think about them. And so to make someone like that the the lead character in this movie and to have them be our point of view character and to, to kind of get us to try to... It's just a big ask, you know, because we always love our flawed heroes, but that just feels particularly like a, a large uh, hurdle to have to get over. And do we all feel that the movie effectively did that? Or was the movie even trying to do that? Or was it just trying to get us to to understand? That's one of the aspects of this movie I find myself thinking about the most, having seen it. And I don't know that I have an answer for it. I feel like I've I've sort of heard both sides of it as to whether or not we are supposed to, to some extent, absolve the Oscar Isaac character because he was, you know, in a sense, just following orders. Um. And like shift this blame all over onto his commander and sort of the powers that be, or if they are in fact both culpable and both guilty, and we've just honed in on one of two, albeit of many very guilty people. Um, 
I, I do think it is a really bold choice on the part of Paul. And I don't think we're sort of meant to absolve this character at all. I think it's just sort of, we, we grow to like him because, you know, a, an actor basically everyone likes has been cast to play him mm-hmm. and gives a performance. I think that makes him about as likable as a guy like this could be. Um, but I don't think the movie is in any way condoning his actions over his superiors. I think it's about on par. Yeah. I don't think we're, I think we're very much meant to maybe not like him or relate to him, but at least sort of uh, agree that he exists. If that makes any sense, like that these, that people, you know, the, that the banality of evil exists. And I think that's Mm -hmm. some of Mm -hmm. the, the were one of the main themes of this film whether we're supposed to be on his side or not i don't think the movie's like explaining him away i don't think the movie is making excuses i think we're just supposed to accept the fact of him that that a person could do the things that he did and revel in it i mean he talks about how he was good at torture and that he had a knack for it and you know we get that he's masochistic and all that kind of stuff yeah exactly but i don't i don't know if we're supposed to necessarily like him beyond what you described fran which is you know that oscar isaac is very lovable in general Um, Mm. but i don't think it's on the page that that we are supposed to be absolving him or uh forgiving him for these actions but then again the movie doesn't spend a lot of time humanizing the victims you know or like the victims of his actions it's it's not really about them they're window dressing and that's another reason i also didn't get i i didn't really fall into this movie very much it was just that it uh, abu Ghraib felt like um it felt like ooh, what kind of interesting backstory could i give this character like mm. what what kind of cutesy thing you know that can I pick out that isn't Vietnam crackers? <laughs> yeah, I was again. I right, like right. oh well, he's too young to have done my lie, so like maybe uh, exactly. That's what it felt like to me. It was like I. Which does anyone? For, do, do, does anyone remember that? And now that I've said that, there's like a movie, right? That's that's like what? that. It's about that platoon or something. Is it platoon? It's like one. No, of it's it's like it's a fucking Ashley Judd movie where it's like her husband is played by Jim Caviezel and he gets like captured by the military police who are like, Hey, you may not know this, but your husband did a war crime. And, um, and it's basically like he was in charge of a my lie and she's trying to prove that he's innocent. Fuck. I, I don't saw remember this. this. I'm going to look it up. You all have a conversation with that. I one. am curious <laughs> about that, but you know, but it really did feel like that for me, that it was that this was not something that Schrader actually relates to in any way but that he just picked it out because it you know like this is this is the right time period for that to have existed so it it felt to me very very disconnected from Abu Ghraib uh, as like a real thing that happened and again forgive me for saying this and but I walked out of that movie and I was like that felt like a boomer jizz movie like did you say like boomer jizz yeah, like an old man like a, just like crackers whacked thing. off and that was the movie. And sorry, like that's mean, but yeah. That's just what it felt like. Just totally disconnected from the own, from its own material. So the movie was High Crimes, directed by Carl Franklin, 
And uh, it is uh, starring Jim Caviezel, Morgan Freeman, and Ashley Judd. What year? Of course, Morgan Freeman. Yeah, I know. It's it's one of the Morgan Freeman, Ashley Judd joints. Um, this is a 2002 movie, which means I saw it as a group date in high school. Um, a successful lawyer's husband is arrested for murdering nine villagers in El Salvador in 1988 as hmm. a U.S. soldier under a different name. She defends him in military court and investigates. And then the the, <laughs> the synopsis ends with a single word framed question mark (laughs) (laughs) is this imdb yes it's imdb who writes these things yeah i don't know (laughs) this person just gave up but anyway i I can Um, understand where you're coming from because even even me like i was in church this morning and i forget what the priest said that made me think of this movie it was something about like you know the divinity and love of forgiveness or whatever and I was thinking about this movie and I was like, it's crazy that last night, oh no, I remember what it was. He was talking about like September 11th and everything like that. Um, and I was like, September 11th, which led to like, you know, the war in Iraq and everything, which led to Abu Ghraib. Right. I watched a movie last night that involved Abu Ghraib as the backstory of one of its characters. It just, it, it almost didn't feel real that that had actually happened. It's but I a did. cutesy noir thing. It's like, Oh, when I served in World War One, like, just what? That's what it felt like to me. Okay, yeah. I mean, like, I get that. Like, like I said, even I thought back on it and was like, hmm, I'm, I'm, like, it's, it's weird that that was like a plot point and that, like, that wasn't like a a stress stream, but that was like an actual. Exactly. I know. God. Especially the way it was filmed, which you know, to me, was like very like trauma inducing like you know ptsd i actually i thought about this movie again later on today because i went to a nursery uh plant nursery where i used to live like where i grew up <laughs> I, I i'm i enjoy that you had to specify <laughs> well, i have a five-year-old I went to a baby annette nursery and I <laughs> right, I baby my daughter keeps asking when we're gonna get another baby um and so i decided to get her an annette puppet um <laughs> no we so there was a thing you know they were having a sale on plants that attract butterflies and they were going to talk about butterflies and Cora got to decorate butterfly wings and I also bought a tree anyway but it was in the town I grew up in and uh, as anyone who's listened to this uh, this podcast knows I have a lot of traumatic memories associated with the place I spent the first 16 years of my life and the people who came from there anyway uh, so as I was driving into it and then when I was leaving it I kept having to like take deep steadying breaths while driving on the highway mm, to get out Jesus. of town because I was just like about to suffer a panic attack. And I felt very much the way that this movie made me feel when watching the, uh, the Abu Ghraib things where like, you know, the world is like split in half wrapping around your head and then forming in the middle. It was, um, so I was like, Oh, well that, that's really great that the movie got that aesthetic detail. Wow. correct. Yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, I uh, like yeah. The movie has stayed with me in a way that like you know I don't I haven't really thought about Candyman since we talked about it, you know, and since I saw it. But like this movie, you know, came up like three to four times organically today. And again, maybe it's just because we're like coming out of nine yeah. eleven, the twentieth anniversary. Um, yeah, uh, but, but here we are. And so I, I think that the movie hits on that point. I think that it, it's still a little weird that it does use that as a plot point. But I think also part of it's just like, 
it's weird that things like that can be used as plot points. Like there's just a part of my, my head that gets, that has trouble wrapping around like, Oh, right. Something that happened in like the early two thousands can now be a, a character detail for someone who's like in their forties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a, de- it's a device. That's what it felt like. Yeah. I, th- I thought it was definitely deployed. So I, again, it feels weird for me to say I, liked that but yeah i i liked those sequences and i liked that it was this detail that you know robin i think you mentioned you know it doesn't flesh out those characters very much and i feel like that's kind of the whole thing of torture just in general where like you know zero dark 30 maybe went a little bit too far down that line where you get to know some of these characters or you get to know a little bit more about them. And then you have to wrestle with, okay, you know, I think Willem Dafoe at some point when he's initially talking to uh, private first class, William tell, uh, which he keeps saying, uh, he says, the reason that they're doing this is to save lives. Right. And it's like, okay, is, is that actually what's going on with any of these people? Or is that just what they're using as an excuse to, you know, do these just awful things. And I feel like if you give an answer, yes or no to that, right? If, if I get insight into these characters, then maybe I get insight into whether that's a yes or a no. And then I become, it becomes easy to judge them and go, you idiots. Like, of course they didn't know anything or you idiots. Of course they did. And I feel like you have to play that game in the way that you plot this, where you don't give that answer. Right. And it's like, yeah, we're just going to leave you to your own conclusions there of whether what they were doing what had any means to even be justifiable, right? Not not that the just you know the ends you know uh, were justifiable, but was there even a purpose? Period. And I feel like Schrader is smart enough to know that he doesn't want to give that answer. Hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't want to know those characters in that way, right? Like that's that's just to me. Um There's also a part of me that I, I wonder if it's like, you know, do we need to get to know them to know that what's happening is bad? Yeah. Like I don't. It's you I, know, like it it's, it, it, it's um, awful. It, it like Yeah, there's like I just like they're humans. Like they're human beings. Like <laughs> that should be enough in some way. I understand the concept of like you know using people's pain as window dressing but like i think mm-hmm. the fact that he's sent to prison for it is is a is a point in that favor like that it's not and and i think that's a very real thing that they're kind of touching on is that you know a lot of the higher ups didn't get punished and didn't get prosecuted for this shit and you know i mean it's the same with you know, the big short, it's the same with all sorts of these things where it's like, you know, the people that don't have money or don't have, um, you know, those direct ties, they're the ones that, you know, get out. And the people that are actually, you know, most directly involved 
with making those kind of decisions and putting pressure on underlings are the people that get away with this kind of shit. And I feel like that's in a way this film is both doing itself justice and like not doing itself justice in that it's giving us this opportunity to like revel in the, you know, private getting his comeuppance on his, you know, it's not even his general or colonel or whatever the fuck William Defoe is, um, because he's not actually a military, uh, person in that, in that specific instance, but he is a, uh, like a supervisor and it's like, yeah, he's, he's getting his, you know, one up on this guy. And I don't know if we're supposed to necessarily like enjoy that. And I feel like that's why they don't, they cut away from it. I feel like that's why they do the things they do at the very end, because we're not really supposed to like see that. Right. Like and it and it feels it feels cheap in a way because we do get to see the torture and and you know everything that happens to the people at Abu Ghraib, but we don't get to see that for Willem Dafoe's character. But I feel like I've said, I feel like he's doing that because we as an audience don't get to have that experience, whether we would enjoy it or not. So Yeah, because I don't want to see that. <laughs> I was also I was also going to say like it's it's I don't know that seeing it happen to Willem Dafoe would would add or take away any it would, it would take away stuff. I don't think it would add anything. Yeah. Like it's not like this is like the grand victorious moment because the entire movie he's been jockeying to not hurt this guy to just like you know the, the leave it be the moral choices for for Kirk with a C, uh, which is annoying as shit. Um are literally, you know, kill the guy who you blame for your dad killing himself or go talk to your mother. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't want to talk to his mom. Yeah, I, I thought that sequence was was so good. And I enjoyed the way that he told uh, <laughs> um, Linda's character uh, about that and he's he's like oh yeah yeah he he just felt the need to to call her he wanted to do it, <laughs> it was yeah. it was just like uh uh-huh. yeah sure he did but yeah i i i thought that sequence when you know he has the bag full of money but also the bag full of of torture implements i thought that was a very hair raising scene um my fiance was like we were driving back from this movie and she said, I was not expecting this movie to be that intense. I said, you haven't seen very many of his films, I guess. And she was just like, well, I mean, I expected it to be. And I was like, was it Tiffany Haddish that kind of had you leading that way? And she was like, no, I just, I just didn't expect it to be as intense as it was. And yeah, this movie, (laughs) unfortunately for Robin, uh, it doesn't waver in its intensity, which also means its tone just kind of stays where it's at. So if you're not not on that wavelength, <laughs> it's gonna be a real it's all good. <laughs> like you know, <laughs> I was curious since you uh, since you find this to be one of your favorite films of the last few years, 
Uh, what did you think of Uncut Gems? Did you love it or did not like it? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so f- famously, like, uh, the Safdie brothers, I I go back to them with, uh, man, Ariel, why, do, why can't I remember her name? Um, it was before... Uh, a good time and before uncut gems they made a a smaller movie um and they just make sweaty fucking movies like Mm -hmm. all of their characters just need to take showers and (laughs) they just don't and a lot of them are like you know compressed timeline so it happens over a weekend and this weekend is just fucking bananas and so of course they're never gonna take a shower because you know they're running for their (laughs) lives or whatever and i'm just like uh like those movies drive me insane because i just i just can't get with that aesthetic but i loved uncut gems and i also i also loved a good time which again makes me like Every time I say that, I I just want to gag. I'm just like, oh, <laughs> fucking movies are so sweaty and just, and that's why I hate the proposition. And oh, the proposition is the best. <laughs> yeah, I know Brian likes that movie a lot, but that's another one of those. This also explains why you don't movies. like Triple Nine because there is a lot of sweating in Triple Nine. <laughs> Yeah, th- that's another sweaty movie. Just, <laughs> um, and the movie that you were referring to gross. from the Safties is, I believe, Heaven Knows What. Yes, with Ariel Fantastic. Holmes. Oh, okay. Yes. I, I, the reason I asked is because Uncut Gems is one of my favorite films that have come out in the last few years. Right, because um, you said mm-hmm. it reminded you of your father. Yeah. <laughs> it's all becoming, yeah, oh yeah. my God, everything's falling into place now. <laughs> I sobbed at the end of that movie. <laughs> Like full on in the theater, just like Ugh. he won. Daddy he woke won. up home. Yeah, seriously, dude. <laughs> uh, but I asked only because, like, this is one of the I very rarely like really fall in love with a new movie that becomes part of like my life's canon. Um, mm-hmm. So that sounds like your version of that. So I was curious if you liked that movie. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I. I remember getting out of that movie and and just being like relieved that it was finally fucking over. Um, but no, I I really love that movie too. So yeah, this one would would definitely go up there next to it. Uh, this is this is gonna end up being one of those films that like I feel like uh, Uncut Gems and A Good Time are a little bit too rough. Un, or a good time more than uh, uncut gems, but I feel like both of those are a little bit too rough cut, and uh, another one of those kind of crazy, sweaty, fucking intense movies is Nightcrawler. That mm, I love as well. Yeah, that's a decent and movie. So, uh, that's a decent movie. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I think song. I really liked it. I just don't remember very much about it. I think I did oh, really man. like it. I just don't. I can't really. It's one of those movies where I. I know I have emotions about it. I just can't really remember why I liked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that that movie is is a fucking it's something. <laughs> that is a way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know final thoughts about this movie. I hope it wins an Oscar. <laughs> um I mean, I certainly don't think it's going to win an Oscar. Just kidding. 
<laughs> given Paul's increased Facebook activity now that it's out. But um, <laughs> oh no, no I'm, done, I'm not talking about him. I'm has not he done something about, more than what he usually Oscar. does? Sure, I'm an Oscar sure, sure. for Oscar. Um, I hope people go see this movie. I really appreciate how just sort of morally muddled it is. And like when I came out of it, I feel like my big thought was like, it's so nice to just see like a movie for adults. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah, I think I, you can not like it and it's totally fine, but it is not condescending or particularly overwrought in a way that feels to me as though it is lecturing, uh, which felt like a really nice change of pace. We see so many movies nowadays and, and, this is a thing that I've read a couple of like think pieces on like, you know, there's like, you know, novels and stuff that like have to get re-edited before they're even released because like people think that if you have a character do a thing, then you think that thing is great, mm-hmm. you know? And um, yeah, it, it really is nice to see a movie where it's like, like we have this, we, we all had this question of like, are we even supposed to like this guy? Like, are we supposed to feel bad for him or like, you know, is it good that he's feeling all this, like he should feel bad. And it's, it's really nice to have those ambiguous things to, to sit around and sip on, you know, once the, the lights come back up, because a lot of times we're as a culture, like not allowed to feel that, you know, we're not allowed to think those things. Like we need, you know, there's some grander societal force that needs to have our, our morality written out very firmly so that people know, you know, if they can eat that chicken sandwich or if they can wear that shirt, um, mm-hmm. you know, and um, so it's it's weird. It's 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 nice to get a movie like this where like the people are scuzzy and complicated and, you know, at the end, you know, it's it's your soul and your mind that that has to put them in the place and not the writer specifically, you know, trying to hedge their bets against getting killed at. Hmm. I, I mean, I do. There, there were a lot of anti-Asian jokes in this movie, and I was really just turned off by that. Yeah, I don't know where that's coming from or what what that's all about. Um, I, f- I feel like also with all of the, uh, you know, I mean, I went to go see Shang-Chi just, you know, a weekend ago or no, earlier this week on Monday, depending on when you start your week. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, it, it's definitely one of those things with, you know, all the violence and everything that's happening with that. It feels very unfortunate that we have this kind of retro, uh, you know, jokes from Tiffany Haddish, which also just feels like her, like just Tiffany Haddish, just in general, as like a comedian, I feel like that's that's such a low ball move Mm -hmm. for her. And I mean, granted, like I don't want her character to be an actual comedian. Cause then I'd be like, why aren't (laughs) you a fucking comedian instead of being, I don't even know what she calls herself. Like, a. I think at some point she calls herself like a, a horse or horse race owner or something like that. She's a a stable. She manages a stable. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, I, you know, I get She's a pimp. (laughs) Yeah. But like, yeah, I just felt like those jokes for, for 
Tiffany Haddish as a person, I could just see her getting that joke and just being like, really? This, this is the best you can come up with? But I'm also like, well, then fucking punch it up, girl. Like, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't blame it, her at this, all. I blame Trader. No, no. Sure. And, and this is where you kind of have to figure out, like, what is your idea of, like, a tour theory and all of this bullshit of, like, okay, could she actually, like, get input and be like, hey, these aren't even funny, and also they're racist, but... Like, well, I mean, what I if that's the up? point? Is that her character's racist? Yeah. Like, that's the I, I, thing. And, is and like, I don't know. I she don't walks know. up to Paul yeah. Schrader and says, "Like, I could punch this up and make it not, you know, a racist joke." And he's like, "Do you not understand that this character's racist?" But like, does it we, add anything? Like, that's why. Like, it's one thing to have that as a characterization, but instead, it just feels like Schrader just thinking he's funny. It doesn't feel like it's. Uh, I don't know that Paul Schrader has ever thought that anything was funny. Like, I maybe just, you're right, but I don't know. It just felt like so. It like, just feels uh, very unfortunate in timing. Like, I, I just, mean, just is it yeah. a piss poor I, here's, a, here's a legitimate question. Is it unfortunate if the concept is that the character is racist? Like, that's the thing. Like, you, one, one of these characters the in this character movie is, is, is fine, a fucking like, murderer and torturer. Like, none of these people are particularly good. It just doesn't feel like building characterization. It feels like... I'm going to make this joke and type it on my typewriter because I just, <laughs> that's what it feels like to me that this is just, that it, like, it doesn't add anything to the film and instead makes me really question the judgment of like people involved in the film. Like, I just don't, it, I don't understand seeing it that way. I mean, like, I guess I do understand seeing it that way, but like, then you can never do anything questionable in any movie ever i shouldn't say it but you're turning into a slippery slope where i'm where i'm saying it yeah. doesn't feel like organic to the film and also it comes like there's multiple ones it's not just um it's not just tiffany haddish making a a single joke that you know you're supposed to understand that's her character being sort of flippant like there were a few different ones sort of sewn throughout the the script uh, that felt just really like weird to me and I don't know just not smart it's like mm. not smart on anybody's part like that this made the final cut of the movie multiple times just weird mm. yeah I, I I don't have a lot of I, I can't defend that kind of stuff and and I I fall on the side of Robin where I understand if a character is supposed to be racist and, and doing all this shit and whatever. But I also understand that, A, it's it's just piss poor timing. Um, and like this thing has like all of this uh, uproar against Asians has been happening like in the spotlight for the last few years. Like it's not like this is brand new, like this year, mm -hmm. this has been happening for, you know, ever since basically the outbreak of COVID. Um, well, I would say people who, who have been racist against Asians since the start of the, 
since the U.S. began, like racism is a oh, huge right. part Have of you US seen Deadwood? history. Yeah, no, that, that's not what that's not what I'm saying though. I'm I'm talking about this this particular situation that we're in right now. Like, yes, there. there but I don't think it would be acceptable either way. I don't think it would no. be acceptable to have that. Right, but joke. I think Bill's saying it's even more obviously a bad idea now. Because yes. it's like, you know, they like, um, well, because attention is now on it. I don't know. I feel like that's not, yeah, I, I, th- I just feel like it's not okay either way. Even if there weren't like an uptick in, uh, hate crimes against Asian people in the US, I still don't think these jokes would be like funny. I don't think it would ever be okay. I useful. think it's just more obviously like, like, so, someone who has like their head in a, like, like, like a person who lives in LA and works in the entertainment industry might not realize that there's like a conversation going on. But like when the conversation is as loud and as nationwide and as obvious as it has become over the last year and a half, yeah, like it becomes had- even more egregious because it's not like, oh, you're disconnected from, yeah, you know, thing you're my, my disconnected company, from the entirety of reality. My, my company issued a statement about anti-Asian uh, hate violence and like the rise of it and everything like that, like. My company doesn't make those kind of statements just I, I work for Redfin and like my company doesn't make those kind of statements just out of the blue, like for no reason. Like there, there's and I understand what you're saying, Robin, but I think Brian and I are on that same page of like, like, OK, Paul Schrader, maybe you're not aware of like, you know, why this isn't funny and blah, blah, blah. But like, can we like like if you made this movie 20 years ago? you know, we could maybe wipe that underneath the rug of like, Hey, a lot of, you know, very, uh, anti-Asian things were being said back then and blah, 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 blah. Right. We we can always like retroactively like justify bullshit. Right. But But the moment is so huge now that it's like, come on, man, like you had to have known. It's like, what the fuck? What, what are we doing here? So yeah, I feel like she could have said a lot of things, but the the fact that it is aimed towards Asians in this particular moment in this particular day and age it just feels like what what the fuck are we doing particularly and egregious I, yeah i and and again like i'm i'm also of the opinion with Brian where just because someone says something racist in your movie doesn't necessarily mean that like you as the artist are racist and it becomes a very like weird thing to kind of like jump through those mental hurdles where it's like okay but did that garner a laugh and if it garnered a laugh then what the fuck are we doing right and so i think maybe that's why they aren't funny and they're old hat and they're those those jokes that like people used to say 20 years ago that were played out then and like she's saying it now, and I think that's why it's not funny, because people are like, yeah, that's that joke isn't funny. And I think maybe if you want to be courteous or if you want to be um, generous to Paul Schrader, he understands that, and that's why he's making this joke and not an actual funny joke because he doesn't want the audience to laugh. Right. That's we, not did, how I interpret it at all. I to me it was like he if this was any other time period, he would have made like a any racist joke about like say a black person or like it, it, and it just seems like this was the unacceptable racist joke to do. I I don't 
I don't buy that this was like him making some kind of artistic statement. I think it was, I think for someone like Paul Schrader, it's just acceptable to make a joke about Asian people because it's not as, uh, it's not as, he wouldn't get himself into like hot water in the same way if he had made the same joke about like a, a person of any other race. I just don't buy it. See, but that's where the, like not to spend too much time on this, but that's where I think that like, it's, it's, it's hard to take that as a, as a thought when again, like it is the pushback against that is so obviously it's like so much more intense. Like I think like Bill had said, that's the type of thing you could think like, 10 20 years ago but like in this moment specifically not even like this day and age but like in this moment that's that's it just doesn't feel like you can get away with thinking that like there's no way to not know that that's the thing that's going on i don't know i yeah. i i don't have a lot of trust in him as a director i guess in that way and but i it just feels like oh well this is an acceptable racist joke for me to make that's what it felt like no, or, and and again, it happens multiple times throughout the movie that he, that there's some like weird thing that he says about Asian people it just seemed weird to me. And yeah, you could say, oh, it's all Paul Schrader's fault or whatever. But like, there's like a whole team of people and executive producers and executives at the distribute at distributor and distributor and, and all this kind of stuff <laughs> that like, I know I can't say it, but <laughs> but you're saying like this takes a village and like you're telling me that hundreds of people didn't fucking think the same thing that would have been so fucking obvious. I, I, wanna, I have no way wanna, of knowing that. It's just it's, such, a, it's moment, such an uncertain thing. I want to take this moment real brief, uh, not to put her on the hot seat, but <laughs> Fran. Yep. Any any final thoughts about this? <laughs> we'll probably cut this whole thing. And <laughs> no, we won't. Robin, we don't Brian, cut anything Brian, from this yeah, podcast. Are you out of your mind? Anything? <laughs> um, I don't know if I think anything that hasn't already been said. I guess my interpretation of these jokes is that they weren't intended to be funny, mm-hmm. and the inclusion of them kind of only goes to continue to highlight sort of the exact kinds of people that these people are. I think there is not really a good one among them. Yeah. And I think the nature of the timing is pretty unfortunate, but I also think there are huge swaths of the country where the timing of anti-Asian violence specifically, like makes no impact on their behavior whatsoever actually yeah and they're like not attuned to it at all um i mean i sort of one of the things i like about this movie is it's kind of like timelessness i can't really place it um which may just be the nature of a lot of movies that either shot right before or during covid that don't include covid but Mm -hmm. um that was that was just my general takeaway i figured it was further condemnation i didn't really get a sense it was like paul trying to say a thing but Paul, I don't know. Paul's a, Paul's wild, but I think right, that's Paul's what you either sort of crazy. <laughs> love about Paul or you hate about Paul. Is Paul's absolutely nuts? Yeah, I definitely fall on on the Fran side of things here. I think, which is you know pretty much what I said earlier, like all of that. It's um, and yeah, I mean there there's a part of me like you know I just I know a lot of different kinds of people, and a lot of different kinds of people say a lot of different kinds of things about a lot of different other kinds of people, like, and so. I just, you know, to to run through life, to make something that you 
I can't think of the right way to put this. If you want to create something that feels true, unfortunately, at some point, someone's going to say something that's mean about someone. It's just, you know, there's there are whole swaths of the country, as as Fran said, who they don't really give a shit about the wider context. And if they say something that they think is clever or if they actually have like, you know, a deep, unabiding dislike of some other person, they won't hesitate to say it. Especially if they're among other people who they feel like, you know, don't give a shit. And these are clear. This is clearly an insular world that these people live in. And so, you know, I'm not saying like, it's good that they did it. Like, it's it's great that they had those moments in there. But like, it does, it does kind of go as an illustrative aspect of the world. So. And I also think like if one of these characters is like, hey, man, that's not how we talk. But that's not who these kinds of characters are. Well, so you what's, know? what's weird is that, you know, having this conversation, it, it actually and you saying that specifically it made me think of um, a movie that I, I, I found myself wanting to rewatch recently, which is Brawl in Cell Block 99, mm. where there is a, a character who says the N word uh, in, in one way and then says, like, that's the way I'm allowed to say it, right? And a different character says, I'm pretty sure that a guy of your complexion can't say that in any way. <laughs> and it is that kind of moment where, like, one of the characters did something racist and another one called him out on it. But in that movie, like, it works because the character of Bradley is the kind of guy who probably wouldn't have said anything, but when asked about it, did step in and say something. But it didn't seem like he was, you know like self-righteous about it he's like well you asked and honestly i do believe the answer to your question is that there's no way for you to say that acceptably <laughs> like i'm sorry that's just not it but um yeah so it's it's interesting seeing how movies are are trying to like navigate those aspects of of human nature because like you know in the 80s you you had a what was it was it pretty in pink or 16 candles that was just yeah. 16 candles yeah i mean like that's just fucked up and so clearly like we're trying to get away from that but we don't want to whitewash in its entirety like how humans interact with each other and speak with each other and look at these things and that's one of the reasons i said like i like this movie because it does have that and we can all sit here and read into it in our different ways how we felt about it and that's it's a very rare thing because i don't think the movie is being as a as a piece of art mean spirited you know towards any group i think that you know it's it's getting you these characters who might say these things and perhaps the characters think that it's a socially acceptable way to be racist but i don't know that the movie is is saying that it agrees with them no matter what you may think of paul who is you know a very polarizing figure i guess is the best way to put it without sparking another hour long conversation <laughs> mhm all right, let's yeah. get the fuck out of here. <laughs> oh, Bill, are you gonna are you gonna cotton to that? <laughs> let her steal your line. I cannot accept this. All right, let's get the fuck out of here. Hamilton. Um, <laughs> yes. So, uh, Bill and Robin, you're done talking. Fran, do you have any final thoughts that you would like to bring up before we close out? Um, no. <laughs> okay, great. Um, I thought you were gonna maybe take another dig at the uh, the score. I was um, going to say, if there are people out there who need someone to talk to about how they feel about the score of this movie, they should know that they have a safe place talking to me. Absolutely. Um, and we will be tweeting out Fran's home phone number and cell phone number. So look for that. 
I've actually been thinking about getting a landline, but that's like a whole other thing. Oh, I got one and it sucks. Um, I, oh, it, it sucks. It rings. Well, so it, it rings all the time and it's never a human being. Like no one has my home phone number. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like I got it because it paradoxically made my internet cheaper. Mm. It was part of a bundle. I got it. And then I also realized like, oh, it would be good, you know, if I have a babysitter over with my daughter for me to have a way to know that I can get in touch with them, even if like the cell towers go down or something. But like, I've never used it to make an outgoing phone call. And all of the calls that come in are all solicitors. So now I don't even pick it up when it rings. I don't even look at it to see what the call ID says. So so the the interesting aspect of that is that people are like oh yeah then then i could like call like your example so i could call home even if the cell towers are down yeah but do you then also have a landline where you would be calling from well when i was at work yeah i would towers you know okay yeah but even then, like I had, I just had, a, I had a, I had a babysitter who was an things. older woman who sometimes just forgot her phone because she was like sixty years old and a cell phone wasn't a thing that she needed, you know. <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah. it was just always a way. Like I know I will be able to access my home, but like my my mom's my mom's phone is always plugged into the charger, and so sometimes <laughs> when I call her, I I will immediately call her. You know it. It won't answer, blah, blah, blah. It goes to voicemail and I'll immediately dial it again because I know that more than likely she heard it from wherever she was. Right. And she was trying she to get didn't to it. Have it. Yeah. She doesn't have it on her because uh, what I've learned from her, which I've also learned from me, my fiance and like other women in my life, uh, is that women's clothing oftentimes does not have pockets, uh, in particular in their pants. And so for whatever reason, that's a thing and so she just doesn't want to have her phone in her hand all the time and i'm like well put it in your pocket and she's like none of my clothes have pockets and i'm just like well see both of my parents leave their phones plugged in at night in the kitchen and it stresses me out (laughs) anyway um so yes once again uh if fran does get a home phone line we will tweet out her number so you can talk (laughs) about how much you dislike the score, which once again is by uh, the the lead (laughs) singer of Black Girl Motorcycle Club, whose name I can't remember, but I think it's Robert Levon Bean. So be aware of that. If he hears this, I mean, like I've been listening to music for like 10 years, so you really can't trust me. I just have to say it. (laughs) That's, that's not true. You said you were a classical music major or something. That's not real. Yeah. I just contemporary music, you know? Yeah. That's not real. Yes. Um, what was one of my one of my favorite things that I ever heard in any movie was someone got mad at a guy for listening to nothing but classical music and choral music all the time, and he like breaks his stereo, and he's like, "You only listen to it because it's impolite to wear a hat that says I went to private school." That's from mm-hmm. In the Loop. Yes, it is. Yeah, <laughs> that's it's just that's fucking curse. vowels. <laughs> I've been thinking about that movie a lot because the new Biden thing with the pandemics like acronym is poop and it just reminds me of the like put pip stuff in that movie where they're like it's such a bad acronym (laughs) (laughs) oh man it's like harry potter if it made everyone furiously angry um anyway (laughs) so it does now fran will have to come back on so that she and i can just quote in the loop at each other a bunch yeah please that's gonna be awesome um anyway uh that, that is assuming that she wants to come back after the hellscape that we've just trudged her through uh, in this no. podcast, but thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely, uh, Robin Barr. What are we talking about next week? 
Is it Cry Macho? I don't. Yeah, maybe. Are we doing that movie? I think so. Are we not doing that movie, Bill? I get. I think we are, and I'm annoyed because the only screening is at 2 p.m. on a work day. It's going to so. be on HBO Max. Why do you got to go to a screening? Oh, yeah, we're doing Cry Macho. Okay. Yeah, September 17th <laughs> in theaters and HBO Max. So, uh, everything's get- coming up, Robin. Oh boy, look at me now, Dad. Anyway, um, (laughs) so yes, so Cry Macho will be what we talk about next week. It'll be on HBO Max for anyone who's still not feeling like they can get to the theaters uh, safely. Um, and that's that. Uh, so yeah, don't forget to go to mubi.com slash filmstage for a free 30 day trial of movie. Don't forget to go to patreon.com slash filmstage to give us your money. And, um, that's it. Uh, so let's uh, let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and the next time that we uh, invade their lives with our madness. We begin, as always, with our guest, uh, Fran Hoffner. When or where? Where can people find your <laughs> stuff online? And when, my, too, if you've got, like, you know, a release time. Oh, like my, oh, I thought you were saying my, like, main posting hours. Um, <laughs> I'm on every platform under just my first name, last name, at Fran Hoffner. Awesome. It would be great if like someone was like, I have Twitter office hours. I mean, I sort of do, but it's not worth not worth getting into. It's the only way I can cure myself of posters disease. Okay. It's like 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and then uh 1.30 a.m. to 2.30 a.m. Yeah, that's basically exactly it. <laughs> yeah, figured. All right. So that is that. Uh let's uh let's move on. Uh Bill Graham, where do people find your shit online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CableBFG, and you can also find me on Instagram at Billstagram, where I post views of my refrigerator because it's loaded with pumpkin spice things that I got at Trader Joe's this weekend. Um, yeah, and also mixing it up on the Slack channel, uh, <laughs> having fun there always, where we will be posting the the furry uh, bosom cat oh yeah we should send that to everyone on the slack channel and like you got to do the at channel thing so everyone gets a notification and just not give them any context or warning perfect (laughs) haze them (laughs) just punish them for giving us money um (laughs) robin Barr, where can people find you online so they can send you gifts of that scene in goodwill hunting where Robin Williams says it's not your fault over and over again. Fuck you. <laughs> so I welcome it. Uh, at Robin Barr, R-O-B-Y-N-B-A-H-R. You can also sometimes find my writing at The Hollywood Reporter. And uh, I also have a personal website, Yenta Vision. It's just where I keep all my links and shit. So Awesome. As for me, uh, I can be found on all the social medias, uh, all the social meds at Brian J. Rowan, um, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Letterboxd. And of course, uh, you can find me at my personal site, brianjrowan.com, and uh, find my writing and every episode of this here podcast at thefilmstage.com. And of course, uh, if you're in the D.C., Virginia, Washington area, um, you should come and see me at any of the many, many festivals that I will be taking my whiskey to soon. So go to schmidtspirits.com slash events to figure that out. Um, so that is it, actually. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and tune in next time. Then he bummed a cigarette and asked me for the light. And 
the night got deathly quiet His face lost all expression Said if you're gonna play the game, boy, you gotta learn